We are in. This is the Chris and Kyle Show. He's Chris. I'm Kyle. Welcome, one. Welcome, all. Ready to have some fun? How you feeling? I'm all right. I'm yeah. Doing good. All yeah. right. Doing good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feeling a little sick, but other than that, I think I might have put too much gel in my hair. Your I hair don't... is its own beast now, so. Yeah, I kind of like it. No, it's, yeah, it's dope. I'm encouraging chaos. It must be nice. I'm also too lazy to just go get it cut. So that's mostly the reason why it's happening. But like, all that involves is just like, oh no, I have to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to do better to not make any jokes about your baldness. But Thanks. And then I was like, don't even mention the baldness. Don't no, even mention the good. fact that you're it's not fine. going to joke about the baldness because even that is kind of st- going over the line. But I did it anyways. Listen, part of the show is being self-deprecating. And just because I suffer from a horrible case of hair envy, everyone I see mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can't poke fun at it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just wear a hat. Try to become a hat person. Slowly but surely, just steal your hats and wear them. This is my hat, though. Go shrimp. Mm-hmm. Shrimp up. Anyways, <laughs> what are we going to talk about today? Well, let's uh, let's do our little writer's corner to start. All right. NaNoWriMo. We have officially... We are actually in November now, so we can actually talk about the process of NaNoWriMo. Um, today is the 7th, I think? 6th or 7th? 7th. Um, so how's the first We're recording on the seventh yeah. by the time that we release this, it'll, it'll be like be the 10th or something 37th. Yeah. That's a real date. Mm-hmm. How's the first week been for you? Uh, well, I'm incredibly behind. Yeah. Yeah. I don't okay. know. Are you? Nah, dude, I'm ahead of the game. Are you really ahead of So you've yeah. written, I'm, a, I'm, I just passed 10,000 last night. 10, Shit. Yeah. Fucking cranking them out. Yeah. Passed 10,000 last night. That's awesome. I'm like. Right about like if you're supposed to write sixteen sixty seven per day, I'm writing like sixteen seventy two per day or something like that. Yeah, for me, like I'm, I'm more focusing on trying to write every day. Like yesterday was the first day that I just straight up didn't write. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I'm also just outlining a okay, lot. Yeah. And so yeah, let's get into that. Let's talk. so we have approached this from two complete opposite mm-hmm. ways. So your let's talk about your process first. Okay. So normally my process and we are very different as well because like uh, our, our formats of writing, I normally write screenplays mm-hmm. for movies and you normally write novels. And for those that don't know anything about screenplays or novel writing, like they're, they're very obviously different. very different. Like when you, yeah. when you uh, write something for like it, it, intending it for it to be a movie mm-hmm. it has a very specific format yep. it has a very specific and it's not way that flowery you, or frivolous no, or other very, words that start with f is terse the right word it's very it's very like specific it's like, shaved down yeah yeah like there there's no um verb yeah it's not verbose yeah um and you're not you're supposed to write in a very specific way mm-hmm. as far as showing and not telling and you don't really go into what a character thinks mm-hmm. as much and of course like any writing there's always exceptions to the rule there's True. always people that do things differently and make it work. But for the most case, this is the way it works. Right. Um, so that's what I'm used to. And you're more used to prose. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally whenever I write a screenplay, I bring up a Microsoft word. Doc. This is going to get really boring for people that aren't writers. Bruh. That's uh, why the timestamps are there. You can skip this. <laughs> so uh, feel free to uh, fucking skip right yeah this, this is writer's corner baby mm-hmm. we're talking we're gonna we're gonna chat we're gonna talk shop right uh but yeah normally like my specific process for starting up a screenplay is i'll bring up a microsoft word document mm-hmm. and i'll literally throw up 
all of the ideas that I have about that specific, like a brainstorm. Yeah. Just a brainstorm sheet of Mm -hmm. all of the things, um, that, all of the ideas that I have associated with that idea. Now, I know with Specific, this project, you went into like a deep outline phase. Yeah. So um, I'm doing something different with this project and how... Right. So with a, a normal screenplay, I'll do the Microsoft Word document and I'll brainstorm and then I'll go through specific things. I'll Normally, I'll get at least my characters outlined, mm-hmm. my conflict. I'll outline that. Uh, as well as specific plot points. And uh, what I've done for probably the past couple years is I take all of those plot points uh, after I've uh, written them out and fucking gotten them pretty well organized. I drag that over into a, uh, a final draft document. Okay. Uh, final draft is a software specifically made for writing scripts. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it, I actually got that tricked from Alex Garland, who I'm going to bring Ooh, up later. Nice. Um, but yeah, and as I write the actual screenplay um, in Final Draft, I'll take off those plot yep. points and uh, continue writing. For this, it's completely different um, because it's not a screenplay. Because it's not a screenplay, and I'm using Scrivener for the first time, um, which I think from now on I'm going to be doing all of my outlining within Scrivener. Yeah, you like it that much? I, I, whether it's for a script or or not. I'm well, last time we talked, you hadn't had a chance to to mess around. To it really much. fuck around with it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like I explained it pretty well mm-hmm. in the, the last episode, as far as the, the ability to organize well, uh, you can have the, the coolest thing about the program about Scrivener is the ability to have multiple documents on like in, within the same software at the same time. And you can drag and drop really easy. Oh, that's cool. It's, um, yeah. And it's just, it, the, the, the innovative things about the software are all with organization and okay, having multiple really documents cool. because you can have, um, I, I don't know how, how you write or outline or anything like that, but like I used to just have one folder, mm-hmm. um, with the specific project, you know, yep, so, I do the same thing. So lunatic fringe, you know, and these are all of my Microsoft word documents. Yep. So I'll have like, like, uh, one for my, I'll have a document your brainstorm, for my, your outline, your actual script for, for it, whatever, and I'll have yeah. one for each character, yep. Um, for Scrivener, you can have all of those within one project. Okay. That's kind of like OneNote is sort of like that too. Yeah. I've never used OneNote. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's just really, uh, simple. It's pretty intuitive. Uh, yeah. The Chris and Kyle show is not sponsored by Scrivener, but we support it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so, so like my growing pains are a using Scrivener, uh, B, the format of a fucking novel. Yeah. I just, it's really tough for me. I, I, I constantly have to fall back on like, Oh, okay. What do I do while I'm writing a script? Yeah. Um, and, in, in order to sort of psych myself into being able to write, because I get, just get really fucking intimidated with writing a book and, yeah. and it's writing big. prose. It's very big. Um, well, it's, it's very big, but like the actual format of writing. Is a, it about writing? Is it about having to write, you know, um, more descriptively? Is that what it is? It, it's, it's weird. Trying to evaluate it is kind of strange because there's a lot of times during a script when 
I have it all fleshed out where I'm like, man, I wish that this was a regular book mm-hmm. where I could just, um, I could just spend like two pages on this specific idea. Yeah. Um, or I could re- uh, reveal to the audience just through words yep. on the page what this character is doing. But I don't really do that a lot with, with my screenplays. You know, like I try to, uh, show what, how my characters are developing through actions through their and, actions and, and, their and, and through yeah. the, the visual narrative yeah. of film, um, which makes sense for the medium. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, I, when I am just starting out with a novel, it's, I'm like, Oh man, I'll never be able to achieve that. So I'm, it's, it's like the, the format of novel writing is shitting on my, ability to write mm-hmm. and uh it's, it's intimidating me have you that, thought that about gr- just writing through the story as bare bones as possible as close i've to already script. done that well because your outline is so that, in, so the, the first day um i spent like my 1666 words i spent it just writing down like all of the plot points and sort of but um, in in really deep detail right you no kind of, no not deep oh, detail I thought you did. at okay. all it was I mean that the first day I was just like I'm just gonna write a hundred like I'm gonna write my words and then you just get through the entire story with just this word amount mm-hmm. um, and then since then I've been using this outline that I got uh, from a guy named Christopher Downing he wrote something called uh, the foolproof outline um, it was this is, uh, a, this is a book yeah it's a book um, but. It, it it the book is explaining the outline itself mm-hmm. and how to use it, uh, and he uses Scrivener and had a, has a template for the outline oh, through okay. Scrivener already that you can find online. That's cool. Um, yeah, Christopher Downing uh, foolproof outline, and uh, it's really extensive. This outline is really extensive, and I think that I'm just gonna keep leaning on the outline throughout the entirety of the. Um, NaNoWriMo? Yeah, for sure. Because it, I'm I'm literally like going scene by scene and at the bare minimum, you're going to have uh, 500 words with each scene um, just going through the outline itself. Yeah. Um, so even if I tackle a couple scenes a day, it's going to leave me around uh, a thousand words. Um, I'm also I'm I'm trying to not stress out too much about the I'm, number about the number. It's yeah. more about writing every day than it yeah, is. Yeah, it's about, more about writing every yeah. day. And plus, we're I mean we're both in this like huge transition period. I'm getting out of the yeah. navy. We're moving to LA pretty soon. Yeah. So I'm not stressing out about it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm actually I'm reading a book right now called The Writing Life by Annie Dillard, um, and she's a, a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And she wrote this book of essays about her like perspective as an artist and sort of the the ideas that you go through mm-hmm. as a as a writer, um, and the the struggles and pitfalls and and shit um, that you have. And fuck, why did I? Why did I bring is th- is this helping you sort of wrap your mind around not stressing about the word count thing and more well, about? The just getting the getting as long as you're getting something out. Literally, she like, she brings up the fact that it takes years to write a good yeah. book. Yeah, for it sure. Just take, it takes years. I mean, so like the the idea of like being able to write write one in a month. I mean, it's really just about the work. And, yeah, th- yeah. Nanorimo is not about for yeah. anyone out there who's participating along with us and and feeling similar struggles, mm-hmm. or anyone just curious. 
NaNoWriMo is not about writing your masterpiece. Mm -hmm. It's about getting into the habit of writing every day Mm -hmm. and having a goal to push you there. But yeah, but like as, as much as I know that it's hard to believe it, you know, it's, it's hard to accept it because I will, you know, be, you know, in Scrivener trying to work out this outline and I can't go straight from, like brain to page mm-hmm. uh, as easy with novel writing as I can with scripts. Um, because with, um, with scripts, I can, I can literally see the movie happening yeah. as I'm writing. Whereas uh, books, I don't read enough fiction in order for me to be like, I know how this is going to look coming off the page. Yeah. You know, but you watch uh, a lot of movies and you watch a lot, of but TV, I watch so, so much. Yeah. I watch some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So That's I can I can literally like uh, visualize the end product so much easier with uh, script writing than mm-hmm. with so so not I mean I, you already mentioned how the the number isn't the goal here but do you know what you're at right now hmm? do you know what you're at number wise or are you just not even paying well I'm probably to it? well no I'm probably like at like twenty five hundred words okay so I'm like super behind but, but does that include all your outlining and everything or no yeah. oh okay cool yeah. but you have the story like fully mapped out yeah okay I I mean I have like I have the story fully mapped out, but I also don't think that I'm going to be able to get 50,000 words out of it. Um, I think that I'm probably going to end up somewhere around like 20,000 words. You mean just through by the end of the month or by the time you're done writing it by the end of the month, I would be happy if I got 20,000 words out. Um, I also know that that 20,000 words is going to be like, the most bare bones of like getting the plot down Mm -hmm. and not having any description at all. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. That's what revision is for. Well, yeah. Well, and it's just also what I'm used to. I'm used to writing, you know, 19 to 25,000 words with a script. Well, yeah. Script is, you know, for a, for a film about 90 pages Mm -hmm. and not a lot of words per page. Mm -hmm. Whereas a novel is obviously longer than that. Um, I'll talk about my, so like I said, we kind of came at this from completely different, pers- uh, approaches. Um, I completely changed my idea for the, for the story I was going to do in the first place. Um, we had kind of decided we were going to do this and do it through the podcast a little bit. And I just kind of went to my old idea folder and I found something that I think thought might've worked. And I was like, yeah, I'll just do this one. Well, I sat down and started like trying to plan it before November started and I realized one that I just didn't know if I, I didn't know where it was going to go enough to do, to write it the way that NaNoWriMo kind of requires you to get, to just bang it out. Um, I kind of realized that writing something that's mystery uh, themed, uh, you need really intensive planning and you need to kind of figure out, you know, what are the clues are going to be? What are red herrings? What is, what's drawing from one clue to the next? And all these different, it, it takes much more planning to write a mystery mm-hmm. than other types of things. So I sat down on November 1st and I basically went, you know what? I'm just going to come up with something new right now. Uh, I've got to get 1,667 words out today. I'll just, you know, I'll lean into my wheelhouse of things that I like and that I've written before and sort of try to come up with something uh, more in that space. So something that's more, um, more adventure driven and more, uh, I wouldn't call it young adult cause they're not, I'm not writing about teenagers, but it's more in that direction. 
than than the store that I was going to do. So I come up with an idea basically of um, I still wanted to write a fantasy though. I still wanted to be in a fantasy world in this idea of um, approaching the fantasy from within it where they don't necessarily know how fantastical the world is. That was kind of a similar vibe I wanted to keep. So I did the same thing as you. I opened up a Word document and I just started brainstorming. Mm-hmm. I, whatever I thought, I typed it down. Yeah. And just puking out ideas. Uh, yeah, just puking out ideas. And um, I think I wrote down, I literally wrote uh, fantasy, uh, like, you know, just like buzzwords like mm-hmm. that. And yeah. then I think I wrote down something along the like lines I'll, of... Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll write out quotes mm-hmm. like that, like I hear a main character say... Uh, like, I literally uh, wrote... If it's if if they like remind me of a certain person, yep. like I'm like, oh, this philosophy, like Alan Moore's philosophy, is uh, fucking mm-hmm. sort of aligns with this person's. Yeah, um, I think I literally wrote. Um, I wrote, "Magic is real, the gods are real, and we have to deliver this package to dot 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 a dragon." And I was like, oh, that's fun. Okay, what is that? I just something I it popped into my head. And I was like, that's fun. So I came up with this idea of like a a uh, fantasy world where there's this courier system of these kind of this semi illegal group that delivers packages back and forth for people that maybe they couldn't move in the open kind of thing. And then I kind of thought about what kind of cast of characters I wanted to include in it. And I sort of want I said, you know, I kind of want to lean into uh, my, my love of D and D and sort of, I took from the ideas of a D and D world and those type the, the classes right. of a classic Dungeons and Dragons party and so I kind of leaned into that to build the cast a little bit. And I basically wrote out one page. I wrote out, you know, that sentence. I wrote out a few names. And then I wrote out a couple plot point ideas. I, oh, you know, it'd be cool if this happened down the line. And it'd be cool if this happened down the line. And how is this secret going to be revealed down the line? I just put basically some bullet points and then uh, started writing. And I, I wrote, I want to say like 1900 words on the first day and like 1800 on the second day. And then I worked all weekend. So that's sort of my, um, the biggest struggle so far is if, if I'm working or a day like today when we're recording all day, uh, it's finding the time to get the amount of words. And so like on Mm -hmm. Saturday, I think I wrote like 1400. So I went below, but I had already, I was already past the number. So I went below the number, but I was still on pace, but I literally wrote from like 1045 to midnight before I got the numbers in. So I just took as much time as I could find to get them in. But so far I found that I've been able, basically what I've done is I've approached it as I sit down. The big thing for me is just forcing myself to write. Cause I feel like once I get going, the 1667 isn't that hard for me. It's just, it's like you said before, it's, it's just puking it out and accepting that it doesn't have to be good You're right. the first time you do it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, you know, I've, um, I've been checking out different, uh, you know, I follow different authors on Twitter and different YouTube videos of people. And basically the advice that you always get whenever you see a, a, a video or something of, of a writer giving advice for writing is they always just tell you that the best thing to do is just write. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where you go, yeah, I get that. But how do you do it? Right. And it literally is just that you just have to force yourself to do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then you have to force what I think the best thing about NaNoWriMo is, is developing the habit of doing it every day sure. and treating it like, like it's like it's, it's a job. Yeah, it's a job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what I've realized is the 1,667 word total, I can crank that out in an hour, hour and a half. Really? And, and really, I don't think it's ever taken me more than three hours. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe because you have the, the habit of writing that sort of yeah. format, I, I don't know. I don't know what my hitches are as far as cranking out those words. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
So you've done a lot of uh, work with D&D and DMing and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel like that's influenced your writing style? Uh, I think if, I think if 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 nothing else, what what playing and running D and D has done has helped me with uh, just uh, just the the general blanket of storytelling, knowing what makes a good story. You know, if I'm playing a character in a D and D game that someone else is running, I have to think about the story that the DM is giving me and how my character fits into it and how I can influence it. That's mm-hmm. that's an, a complete alternate way of when you think of as a screenwriter or an author you're not thinking from that perspective mm-hmm. but it's interesting to look at it from that perspective so now if i dive into the story i'm writing now and i have a character named basil if i'm thinking of if i try to look at it from basil's perspective that's kind of how i'm getting these words out i think so quickly it's because i have four point of view characters in the story i'm writing right mm. now so i sit down and say okay this the next pov is basil mm. what is basil are you writing from first person no third okay. person okay. um what but but still i mean like harry potter's third person but you're in harry's head yeah exactly um you know so in this scene i say okay it basil's scene is next based on where the story has ended up and you know crashing that into where basil is and what what i know about basil and what basil knows what would he be doing right now so i and i think i basically and i say okay oh he would obviously do this and that's i just start going hmm. i just go and i see where it takes me um, it's not necessarily any good. I don't know because another thing is don't don't go back and don't go back and read it because it's it's not about um, the the run through November isn't about the thing being necessarily good. It's about it being done, and then you can go back and actually weave it together and make it make more sense and everything. Um, I think from a DM perspective, it's more just. Uh, I think uh, I think an interesting thing uh, because you I haven't even brought this up. I didn't outline at all. Okay. Normally I'll make an outline right. for this because I on the day of I just jumped into it. I uh-huh. wrote that one page of ideas. So you literally only have one file right now that has. I have two different files. One is literally called the Courier's Ideas, and uh-huh. the other one is just called the Couriers. Right. And so, that's the story. Okay, so that's like your physical manuscript that yeah. you're writing. Okay. Um. Yeah, and basically I came up with ideas for plot points, but I, they're not in any order. It's just this would be cool if this happened or if this happened or if this was revealed. Mm-hmm. And I might get to them and I might not. They're just the things that sort of triggered the story in my head. Right. And But the the kind of thing I think that running D&D is, has sort of maybe helped me, which I have never really examined this, but I think when you run Dungeons & Dragons for people, you have to be ready for your ideas to be taken completely off the rails right you have to be willing to be flexible with the story you're trying to tell mm-hmm. along with the players around you and where they take the story mm-hmm. to unexpected places right. and i think straight raw discovery writing this is a similar adventure kind of because i'll finish you know a chapter or a scene or whatever or a, a p of you portion and i'll say okay i'm jumping from basil to the next character and now what is this character what do they want to do what is because the thing is, if I'm in their point of view, this scene has to be sort of about them in some way. So how are they going to influence where the story goes next? Mm-hmm. Well, in the long term, it's still about these four people delivering this thing to this place. So it has to go there long term. But short term, I think, is sort of how I'm breaking it down more day by day. Mm-hmm. Kind of. No, Yeah, like I, I, I wanted to ask that question because it just uh, I wanted to figure out how similar and both and dissimilar um, 
writing your own narrative is versus like being a DM. Yeah. Um, and b- because with being a DM, you're writing a story for characters that are going to have their own sentience to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're literal, their own sentience. And how do you approach that versus having uh, a story where you're literally a hundred percent in control? Yeah. But in the same token, I always try to look at my characters as if they are alive. They, they, well, as if they are alive Making and their they own have decisions. their own sentience yeah. and they have their own reality to them. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I um, come to a character that I feel like uh, I might be making two dimensional, I try to delve into them more. And I, and I yeah. feel like the, the way that I approach characters is the way that I kind of approach people, you know, if I am looking at them in a sort of two, two, like two dimensional way, it's only because I haven't spent enough time with them. Yep. Have you, you ever know? done in the thing? Uh, I've seen different writers uh, talk about this. Well, they will literally just interview their characters or do a scene where it's just their character going throughout their own thing. That's nothing to do with their story as uh, a way to try to get to know them I've better. Done, I've done it with certain things. Um, <laughs> Uh, I haven't done that as much with um, with the stories that I've written, but I'll do it with video games. Okay. Um, so, uh, say so like we'll, you're playing Skyrim or something. No, well, not not Skyrim, but with 2K, right? Oh, so, okay. Uh, okay. So, uh, with 2K19. Yeah. Um, like or any any 2K game, that NBA basketball game. If for those that don't yeah. know uh, video games well. Um, but you can play in like a my GM mode. Yep. And the GM that I created, um, his name was Cash Dukin, and he was a half black, half Japanese uh, guy that went to MIT and then uh, played for the Warriors. And then after his career with the the Warriors, ended up becoming a GM mm-hmm. um, for the the Phoenix Suns. This was so. This was two K eighteen. My franchise in there. Are you sure? It's gonna the get Phoenix really fun. Uh, so they ended up going from being the Phoenix Suns to the Seattle, Seattle Super uh, Sonics. It's like a, a narrative that 2K puts in there for you, um, where you can make the decision to have your move team your stay team. Yeah. in their current city or move to the to the Super Sonics. Bring right? back but the Super Sonics when it, in real life. So what ends up what I ended up happening what ended up happening in my franchise is uh, my team sucked for the first year. Like anybody does with their, their franchises in their sim the first season games. so you can get who you, you want. Sim the first season so that you can have a really good draft pick. But I ended up getting all the draft picks I wanted as well as getting Kevin Durant in the second season. <laughs> and then I like literally I went over 82 in the first season. And then the second season I won the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh like four or five seasons in my team had won like three or four championships and they had acquired Kevin Durant, LeBron James and Greg Popovich, you know, like just all of this really it's, it's power fantasy, you know? Uh, but I remember one day driving to work and, uh, I listened to, um, an NBA podcast called the low post, uh, it's hosted by uh, an ESPN reporter, Zach Lowe. Um, and it's a really good podcast, my favorite basketball podcast. And in my head, I listened to a podcast between Cash Duke <laughs> and Zach Lowe. Who was he talking and, to in real life? Huh? Who was he talking to in real life? Well, there wasn't anything playing on the car's oh, radio. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. It was, I was, it was quiet, yeah. but it was, the voices were in my head. 
Oh, I thought you meant you were listening to it and you pretended the person he was talking to was Cash Duke. No, no, no. This I is was, even weirder no, 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 than that. No, no, no. No, it's even, yeah, it's even <laughs> creepier. Uh, no, uh, I got to, um, yeah, so I listening it, uh, to my own head. Yeah. In, real, re, in reality, there was complete silence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fucking Zach Lowe was asking the normal questions that he would be asking um, anybody uh, in, within the current narrative of my 2K franchise. Uh, and it was crazy fun. Just yeah. writing, because it was literally just writing dialogue between the, uh, mm-hmm. back and forth um, between them. I, nothing actually like hit paper. Or anything, no, it was just, it was just Existing yeah. in my head, which is 90% of writing, which I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel that 90% of writing happens when you're in your, within your head. There are certain days that are, thinking days there are certain days that are typing days both days are writing days i love that mm-hmm. quote uh, uh, that's cool yeah uh i think for the most part i agree with you but for the specific thing i'm doing right now for nanorimo it is yeah for nanorimo it mm-hmm. is avoid the pitfall that a thinking day can become which is mm-hmm. just i'm just sitting there thinking and not getting anything done true yeah because i think there's a danger in that i i think that there is a danger potentially mm-hmm. but I think that the ideas that you Stephen King brings this up in on writing about how uh, he doesn't write down the ideas that he has for his books um, because the best ones always like he'll remember. Yeah. Which I think that there's a, a pro and a con to that because you might just forget. A really you might good think idea. of something awesome. Like and then just forget about yeah, it. Yeah. Like you're falling asleep and you think of something cool and you go, I'll put that down in the morning. And when you wake up, it's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I do like thinking about things for a long time yeah. and then writing about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the current thing that I'm writing for NaNoWriMo, I've had in my head for at least six months. Yeah. Um, so, I yeah, I like dwelling on things. Well, and, and that kind of speaks to, to how that. you were able to map out the whole story already. Yeah. Whereas I have no clue what's going to happen in mm-hmm. mine. I had a, another thing I kind of thought of is – like I said, I normally outline things, but something I kind of like about what I'm doing now, and I don't always, I don't outline in super detail. It's usually general detail. Um, but I kind of like, I think that sometimes when I outline something or when I come up with an idea or like, God forbid, I come up with an idea and I go, oh, that could be like a trilogy or something. And then you put like, oh, this is what could happen in all three books or this is what will happen by the end of the story. In my head, a part of me is like, okay, that story's done. I know what happens. Has that ever happened to you? What do you mean? So that story is done. What do you Sometimes mean? I feel like if I come up with the whole story before I write it, in my mind, I've already told it because I know what happens. So it feels done, even though I haven't written it. Okay. So if you haven't typed it mm-hmm. out, you've already thought up the story. You've gotten to the end mm-hmm. and you feel a sense of achievement. A sense of finality. Right. Not, it, necessi- like- not achievement. Because I know I haven't written it. Okay. But I've come up, I go, oh, I know what happens. Like there's I a, feel satisfied in the experience of the story. But there's a closure there. Like yep. you, yep. Um, there, I know how I want the characters to feel, and I know how the, the end should go, and I know what will happen to, how all the bow will be wrapped up, and I feel a sense of closure. Do you feel like that robs you of the, the craving of writing? Like, I think, like the motivation I think it robs, to write? Yeah, yeah. I think it robs me of the... Huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, mo- uh, 
I I I like I don't remember the exact quote, but I like the idea that you should never um, rely on motivation to write because you'll just never write, mm-hmm. or you'll write for a week and then you'll take six months off. Yeah, uh, it, I do think it really does need to be a habit and something that you make yourself do, um, which is something that I have failed at multiple times at making it a thing. Right. I'll go through you know two month periods where I write a lot and then not write for six months at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is that sort of thing where I'll come up with a whole story and where it's going. And I think I will, I'll, I'll have this sense of closure and then not feel the need to finish it because I have that weird, uh, satisfaction almost. Okay. We got to pause this real quick for so lighting. Can, yeah. yeah. I noticed it. We back. Sorry about that guys. It's all good. Time change. Couldn't get as late into the night with the mm-hmm. natural light. Yeah. Yeah. You try, did you try to do that? Nope. It just came out cool. Mm. I wouldn't say cool. I mean, you it accidentally It was cool. Rhymed. All right. Rhymes Subjective, I guess. are cool. Anytime you rhyme, it's cool. Yeah, say that to Vanilla Ice, dog. <laughs> um, so, all right. So you were talking about how the, about writing something and sort of, uh, having it fleshed out in your head sort of robs you of the motivation of putting it down on paper, mm-hmm. or putting it down on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, 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 I feel like I never, re- I feel like I'm the opposite Yeah, of that. Uh, like I feel like, especially if I'm really excited about the idea, if it's an idea that I, I feel is really good and I get really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Like if the only reason that the, I'll get closure and not want to write it is if I'm like, Oh, that's been done before. Okay. Um, like, Oh, like that, that's not even worth my time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but if it's something that I know speaks true to me that I've never seen before that, um, I feel I can, I can do well with, then I'm, I'm clamoring to, I think what happens with me is I'll have the idea I'll get really passionate about the idea. I'll plan the idea and I'll go. And then the second I hit that hitch, cause you always hit that hitch, especially if you're writing a novel, there's always going to be that part where you just can't figure out what to do next and how to get from point A to point B. And it's when I hit that hitch where I, I I'll, you know, and then maybe I'll hit that hitch and I'll go take the day off. Then you take the next day off. And then a few days pass by and you haven't written. And then you go, ah, oh, should I go back in a person? You go, but then you just in the back of your mind, you go, ah, eh, but I know what happens. And it's just, it's this weird, it's not satisfying because I want to write it. You know what I mean? But it's this weird sense of closure that makes you almost forgive yourself for not finishing it. It's weird. Because I, you, I think but, it's something because that I, you know what happens. Yeah. Huh? I feel like that's it's something I, that I need to figure out how to overcome. It's not a good thing. I was going to say that I was going to say the opposite. I feel like that's kind of healthy in a way because so Quentin Tarantino brings up how a big problem with writers, especially screenwriters is how they're so, uh, oriented in the result. They're very Mm -hmm. result oriented. You know, I need to get this screenplay written this weekend and fucking crank it out. Um, whereas he's, he comes from an acting background. Okay. And being an actor is no so, so good with actors. <laughs> uh, acting is so grounded in the present moment. It's grounded in the process more than mm-hmm. it is the result 
of that process. And it's something that I know that I've confronted um, with with writing because I've I mean everyone gets that like fuck if only like I need to write an, another screenplay um, I have this screenplay idea um, and I need to write the rest of it you know yeah. I need to write the um, and a lot of the times that you sort of forget about the benefits of enjoying the process and trusting the process <laughs> um, but yeah and the, and that enjoyment can um, is, is very fruitful yeah and um I feel like that is what you de- just described is sort of rooted in that, mm-hmm. in that enjoying the process. Like if you've already gone through it, then why go through it again mm-hmm. kind of thing? I, I don't know. That's just how I interpreted it. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's obviously not good for finishing things and you have to finish things. So mm-hmm. just, just you, I, think th- I think maybe finding the balance in it is the key. What's crazy is how different so many different writers think even like super successful ones because Aaron Sorkin uh, said that you shouldn't write on days where you're not in a good mood. He said you should only write yeah. good, on days when you're, I'm like, well then I'd never, write. never write. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it just comes it across so as like, maybe that works for you, but I don't think it will work for anyone else. Right. You know, not, not everyone can be prolific with, with their output. That and also there's so many people who are just steeped in their own emotions and that's where their writing came from, you know, like they're. Well, yeah, if you you don't feel happy, but that's where your story is coming from. Mm -hmm. Do you then not write when you are happy because you're going to it's going to mess up the tone of the story? Yeah. If you're Aaron Sorkin, I don't know. That's a weird. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, for him, it obviously works, but I don't think that would work for me or you. Um, and he's he also doesn't write very emotional things like that's the, true. I wouldn't it's say very that, intellectual it's very intellectual it's very wordy um but it's all it's not without emotion either no like definitely there's not. there's there's a huge like i mean andrew garfield smashes a computer for a reason yeah yeah in, in well, well, and, well and just there's a there's a really human element to it like like i've read a lot of lovecraft for the thing that i'm writing now mm-hmm. um and he is I would say very devoid of, uh, emotion. of human emotion and like connection with people. Like his dialogue isn't, it's, it's very like wordy and verbose. Like the, the way that his characters talk aren't very, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's for sure not natural. Um, and I don't know a lot, a lot about Lovecraft, but I've heard that he was very isolated mm-hmm. as a person. Um, and I feel like that, sort of stemmed it shows in his work yeah it shows in his work um which is like the one thing that i kind of don't like about his uh about his writing like it's fucking i I really like lovecraft Mm -hmm. um i don't read a lot but i have read uh a good chunk of a good chunk of lovecraft and i like a lot of the things that he does and that's why i'm reading he's a super imaginative very imaginative but it's so uh just steeped in a tone mm. that i really enjoy and i like spending time there yeah um and well i mean he's a dude whose name has become a genre yeah that's hard to do yeah lovecraftian mm-hmm. I, I can't think of another 
genre that's named after a person. Yeah. That's crazy. Huh. Do you have any other writer's corner shit? Yeah. Or do you want to jump into some movie movie TV stuff? We could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. Oh, you okay? So you love the TV show. Um. Mm. Oh my God. Uh, oh. Matthew what McConaughey, did, what Woody did Harrelson. What did True Detective. There you go. I got there. Yep. You love True Detective season one. Season one of True Detective. Have you seen season one two? Of, I have not seen season okay. two. Um, not heard great things about season two. So uh, for those that don't know True Detective, uh, it's an anthology, anthology series. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that have seen American Horror Story, it's very similar as far as like an entire season is its own story. Yep. And then uh, so season, there's two seasons out right now of True Detective. The first season has Woody Harrelson and Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. And the second one has Colin Farrell and Vince, Vince Vaughn, Vaughn. Yeah. Um, and Rachel McAdams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I absolutely loved the first season, season of True Detective, one of my favorite things of TV and has my second favorite character of all time in either TV or movies. McConaughey. Yeah, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, Russ Cole. Mm-hmm. You've seen... I've only seen the tracking shot scene. Oh, shit. So That's you the only thing it. I've ever seen from True Detective. Um, I walked home one day and you were watching that episode and it was at the very beginning of the tracking shot. There are so many absolutely amazing things about True Detective, the directing the uh the characters the performances the tone the integration of the environment like it's set in uh there's also time differences right yeah um the i was yeah i was gonna get to that so like the the main reason why i love true detective season one so much is because the writing yeah um what's the dude's name uh the showrunner uh fukunaga or is that uh, fukunaga carrie joji fukunaga was the guy who directed all of season one okay but uh, I think it's uh, Nick Pizzolato. Pizzolato, yeah. Pizzolato. Is, is it Pizzolato? I think it's something I think like it's that. Pizzolato. Pe- it's like close to pe- a lot of pizza. A lot of pizza. <laughs> um, but yeah, really fucking talented dude. Uh, he's the showrunner. He's very. Or yeah, was. He, well, yeah. So he he he's the showrunner, the and he, I think he writes all of the okay. episodes too. Um, I know that he. I'm pretty sure he wrote every single episode of season one. Okay. Uh, but his. One thing that I really don't like about a lot of uh, about of a lot of noir movies and shit like that is they're not very like character based, mm-hmm. and True Detective is that. True Detective is just so focused on character development, and I fucking love it. And not only is it, uh, is the character development good, um, but it's someone that I can relate to in Russ Cole. Um, I'm not sure if I would relate to Russ Cole. No, I don't think you're gonna. I don't think that you'd really like it. I feel. I like, think I would like True Detective. I think that you would like the show, but yeah. I don't think. I don't that, think I'd like it as much as you do. No, um, and I don't think that you would that the character of Russ Cole would yeah. resonate with he's, you uh, as what's much. What's the word? Because uh, he's he's nihilistic. Yeah, he's a super nihilist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Whereas I'm super optimistic. <laughs> and uh, we talked to in uh, we just recorded our Ladybird episode, mm-hmm. which will be uh, coming On out Thursday. Thursday yeah. Um, and we talked about how there's a character named Kyle mm. <laughs> in Lady Bird that I, th- there might be like a small piece of that character, like inside me somewhere, yeah. you know, um, I, like I could see myself saying the thing, uh, the, and thinking the same things, uh, of that character. Russ Cole is like that too, which mm-hmm. is kind of dark. If yeah. you've seen <laughs> True Detective, he has a very nihilistic and 
what Woody Harrelson would say, uh, Woody Harrelson's character would say in True Detective, he would say that it's pessimistic, but but it, it was something that when I first started watching it, I was just, these are all of these emotions and ideas that I've had before that are completely articulated mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't able to articulate them. Um, so yeah, there, there are certain times when I'll watch something like that and I'm, and I'm, I'm getting, it's like a mirror to my own yeah. self, uh, mm-hmm. like m- my inner workings and you know, like Nick, lot of pizza, <laughs> uh, was, was able to hack into that whatever mm-hmm. emotion it was he had that within himself as well but was able to articulate it way more than i could and yeah uh i i fucking i love that show man but we're talking about season three now but there was a trailer so that dropped a, for a, a season a second three. trailer i think yeah and mahershala ali is playing the main character of the new season mm-hmm. uh, i didn't recognize really any of the other actors in the trailer uh steven dorf is the You've seen Blade, right? Yeah. The original Blade? He was the antagonist in Blade. Okay. Do you remember him? Vaguely. Is he the partner? So, okay. So he's the, the, he's the partner in True Detective Season 3. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Uh, he's the he guy looked familiar. Right. I just didn't know who he was. Uh, yeah, so Stephen Dorff is in Blade. I don't know if I've seen him in anything else. I okay. can't, can't think of anything off the top of my head. But Mahershala Ali is the Oscar-winning... Right, he yes. won the he Oscar won for Best Supporting Moonlight. Actor in Moonlight. Um, he was in Moonlight. He's in House of Cards. He is He's amazing in, in House of Cards. He's amazing in the f- it. Whoop, no spoilers in Luke Cage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's amazing in, in Luke Cage. <laughs> um, what else is he, is he in? There's another big one that we're missing. Yeah, it's another Netflix thing, right? Maybe not. Whatever. Mahershala Ali is r- super talented, and he's, he's going to be a voice in the upcoming End of the Spider Verse movie. He plays Miles' dad. Oh, nice. Yeah. But he's a hella dope actor. But dude's uh, enthralling to watch. Some of the exciting things uh, in season three that I look forward to. I I should watch wa- actually two. watch season two. Yeah, I've heard from people that it's not as good as pretty season much one. everyone has heard that season but two is not. Good. I might watch yeah. it and it might be. I I might like it even more. Who Maybe. knows? Yeah. Um. One thing that excited me about uh, season three, a the, the cast Mahershala yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um. He's like the perfect choice to me. Like, it, I don't know if I would have thought of it if you would say, "Hey, who would make a great, uh, d- 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 you know, star detective for the third season of, of True Detective?" And mm-hmm. I, I might not have thought of Mahershala, but the second that I saw Mahershala, I went, "Oh, perfect! Yeah, perfect! Fits! Yeah. yeah." Um, the cinematography looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the music sounded great to me. Uh, and they're going back to that. Um, the structure, that non-linear structure that is, worked does, so well. Do you for know them that doesn't season. happen in season two? Huh? I don't think it. Okay, does. it's it's not. But I don't know. I, I have to. I have now to this back. has three timelines. It looks like young Mahershala, normal which Mahershala, there were, and old Mahershala. Which there were three timelines. There's also in the, three in, in season the first one. season. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Yeah, because there's like junkie Russ Cole, cop Russ Cole, and so another Russ Cole. <laughs> the, the, so like the, it's uh. Russ Cole, like when he first shows up and like him and Woody Harrelson getting to know each other. And mm-hmm. then it's a couple years ahead of that. Okay. And then it's like 10 years ahead Junkie of that. Junkie Cole. Um, but they go back and forth. Okay. Um, like the whole thing is, so like the first half of the season is like bookended 
with uh, showing all three of those timelines and then uh, those first two timelines like basically end and then that second half of the season you're left with that final timeline oh so you don't yeah so you have that cool book ending format of that in the beginning half of the season Mm -hmm. but in the second half of the season you have that uncertainty yeah of that oh yeah, because for the first these half, characters you know, not... at the very least, you know where they ended up exactly. 10 years later. Mm-hmm. But then from the second half on, you have no clue what Which, happens. Which, like, you, yeah. um, in the the type of story that you're dealing with, I mean, these are detectives. Yeah, it's uh, dangerous. They're it's dangerous living dangerous fuck. lives. You might die. Yeah. And if you know... And, like, they're, like, undercover and if stuff, If you know right? at the end of uh, the, the season, like, because of the way that it's bookended, that... Uh, that they're alive and they're mm-hmm. going to make it through this. Um, it it takes out a little bit of the uncertainty yeah. and the the suspense. That's cool. It. I didn't know that they did that. Um, but those first two timelines run out, and so I think there's still a it, lot to be left. I think in that flipping it a little bit. I would love for you to fucking watch the. First I really want to. True I, I, it's one of the shows that's like at the top of my things. I need to we'll watch do, like we'll, that and The Wire are like two of the things I need to watch more than anything. Yeah. Um, you'll watch it and we'll do a fucking full spoiler yeah. episode on it. Uh, flipping the into the new one, it looks like Mahershala's sort of different timelines mm-hmm. is going to be more f- focused on what happened. Because mm-hmm. there's like a clip in the trailer of him being where he's old, he's got gray hair and everything. And the woman is like telling him that you never got past that case that he keeps talking about in the trailer and this. So I'm really interested to see, you know, just the mystery of the season and how they, how they tackle it. And it's clearly going to be a sort of tour de force of Mahershala and being the driving force of the show. And I right. think that's cool. Which I I feel like that's the best thing. Like, because uh, a lot of pizza writes such good characters when you have someone like Matthew McConaughey or Mahershala Ali mm-hmm. that can just, they're the and best. Colin Farrell. I don't. I don't know season two, but Colin Farrell is amazing. You, would you put Colin Farrell in the same league as Matthew McConaughey or great. Mahershala Ali? I don't know if he's that good, but he's great. I haven't seen he's the Lobster, involved, like, but I've heard the Lobster. In, he's hella dope. I've seen the Lobster. Yeah, the Lobster is a very like. I've heard I wouldn't like the Lobster. No, you would not like mm-hmm. the, the Lobster. It's it's like all literally all of the performers are sort of talking the exact same way and it's mm-hmm. it's super dull okay it's very dull language it's it's not the lobster is good and it's really interesting for its ideas but it's not something that you will enjoy for the performances because the f- performances are sort of robbed by the way that they are presented yeah the way that they're presented <laughs> um but i've i don't know of any I haven't seen anything that Colin Farrell is in where I've I've had that sort of reaction. I've seen plenty of things that Mahershala is in, yeah. plenty of things that Matt McConaughey is yeah. in. Um, even Matt McConaughey was somebody that like even when he was just this heartthrob actor that I was like, this guy is better than than this most what most people yeah. think of him. Yeah, you know, a lot of people just think of him as this shirtless fucking surfer. All right, all right, all right. All right. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like. I see him. Yeah, it was crazy. His explosion, what like what maybe five years ago or whatever it was, mm-hmm. when he just flipped his reputation on its head and yeah. became this super legit. There's a period of like two or three years where he was just mm-hmm. he did all of these yep. movies: Dallas Buyers Club, Mud, Interstellar, True Detective, yep. Interstellar. He was doing all of these just really critically uh, acclaimed. 
Barry Dust. What movie is that? Uh, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Wolf Street. Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I mean, there's no disrespect to Vince Vaughn no, and no. Uh, Colin Farrell. Yeah. I just I I don't think that they're in, in the league. That class. Yeah, makes sense. Um, but yeah, I I got really excited for it. I would. Oh, the hype it. is real. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to watch at least season one before season three comes out, so I can watch season three. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other thing we we're going to talk about uh, movie-wise or TV uh, or something? Oh, the next Coen Brothers project. Ooh, big Coen Brothers fans. Uh, they have a deal with Netflix where they make they so they had an agreement to make a movie with Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. I can stream a Coen Brothers movie right away. That's awesome. They ended up, I guess, their idea ended up being so much bigger than they expected. I don't I don't know how this the process happened, but essentially they're releasing I think it is a six part movie is basically what it ended up being. It's this long thing. It's called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And uh the second trailer just came out. And you hadn't even heard of it before, right? No. I think I'm I might have heard of it, but like there's a lot of things that you hear about and then you forget. Yeah. But I th- I think um the the podcast that I listen to a lot that talks about mm. movies, the film vault. Um they talked about it um, and how, because I remember them talking about Hail Caesar as well and how okay. like, they were kind of disappointed with Hail Caesar. Yeah, I never saw Hail Caesar. It seemed like it kind of flew under the radar. I saw it. It was a movie that was designed for a very specific audience mm-hmm. um, and it, it it wasn't very like far reaching. It's It was a love letter to old Hollywood. Yeah. To old ho- Hollywood. And in a way that La La Land is or different? But no, because La La Land is like, more palatable, mm-hmm. pa- palatable. Yeah, that's right. You got it right. Yeah, palatable. Work. Uh, to a, like a, a bigger audience, there's low, music right. and th- like there is a couple scenes in uh, Hail Caesar that are fun, but there isn't a lot of that. Okay. Uh, it's not. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's just it's for a specific kind of. Is it goofy George Clooney? It seems like it's goofy George Clooney. The shit that I remember is George Clooney in that movie? Yeah, definitely. What? No, because uh, I, I think he's in it, but the main character is. Uh, he's in the trailer. He seems super. He's like kidnapped or something in the trailer. But he's not the main character. The mm. main character is uh, the guy from. He played Cable. Josh Brolin? Josh Brolin. Yeah. Mm. Thanos himself, unless I'm like completely getting know. that wrong. I think, Cha- yeah, but I think Josh Brolin. Was but uh, so we just watched the the Buster Scruggs trailer before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Would you, you excited? You you like the another Coen Brothers western? Uh, it seems all right. It seems fun. Um, Looks like I'm, a lot of fun to me. Um, I'm not super excited. I'm not a big western guy either. Okay. Um, yeah, favorite- I'm not a huge Western, but I, I I feel like there's there's so few good ones now that when they come out, I get really excited for them. It's kind of like uh, anything with pirates. You right. know, if you make something that, with pirates in it that's good, I get really excited because we mm-hmm. don't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of the old westerns, I don't really like. Mm-hmm. Like. This doesn't look like that at all, though. Shoot me, please, but I'm not a big uh, like spaghetti western fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big uh, fan of like the Man with No Name trilogy. Um, my favorite uh, Sergio Leone uh, product 
was uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, I fucking really enjoyed that movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big John Wayne fan. Uh, I'm, yeah, and like even within the Coen Brothers universe, I'm not a big True Grit you guy. You like True Grit very much? I really like True Grit. I, it to me was forgettable. I've I got just, my bear skin. I don't. I don't even fucking. You remember know that, that is. Come on. No, I. I no. I, I legit. Haley Steinfeld's like premiere. Come on. Did she get an Oscar nomination for that movie? I have no idea. Uh, maybe not. I, I think she might have. I don't know. I have no idea. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm. I wasn't a big True Grit fan. I was just like, oh yeah, that was a movie. I. 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 I recognize that they're good movies. It's just like it's like Clint Eastwood. Um, like it just it doesn't resonate with me for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And uh, yeah. Is it something with the genre of westerns or specific things? I I think it's probably like a lot of the the like the uber masculine nature mm-hmm. of of westerns uh like just kind of turns me off like the um of old school westerns specifically. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, can you think of a, a more recent western? I'm trying to. It, I mean, that, this that doesn't, doesn't have that. Buster Scruggs doesn't look no, like wait, it's no, going to be like it's that goofy, at all. It's goofy. it's goofy as hell. Yeah, it's goofy. Um, Timothy Blake Nelson, I think, is playing Buster Scruggs, and he he's being a weirdo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that shot with the the dust. He pats his himself, and then he walks away. The dust, his outline, so that's cool. Um, but I also don't. I don't like all out goofy Coen brothers either. Okay. My favorite Coen brothers stuff Inside is Davis. Inside Llewyn Davis. Yeah, for sure. I, too. well, I really like Oh Brother with Where Art Thou, which might seem like That's I'm contradicting goofy, myself. Yeah. It is goofy, but it's so based in mythology yeah. and, uh, the music is so incredible. Uh, and there's like, there is so much more substantial shit in there other mm-hmm. than it being goofy, which I, I hope that Buster Scruggs mm-hmm. has. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the, my favorite Western thing is Red Dead Redemption. I was about, I was going to bring <laughs> that up. I was going to say, yeah, does, does Red Dead Redemption scratch the Western itch for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's topical because Red Dead Redemption 2 just came out. Not that we have it or are playing it, mm-hmm. but... Uh, we both played the first one. Mm-hmm. And you've beaten the first one, right? I've yeah. beaten it twice, I think. You've beaten it twice? Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's a good ass game. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And I I love that. Like I it's not the world that really mm-hmm. turns me off. I mean it's the the, the ability to connect with the characters, mm-hmm. I think. So just in a lot of Western projects you haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Okay. I can understand that. Uh, so, uh what okay. about Django Unchained? You like Django Unchained? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like Django. There's another one where it's they're not. I'll I'll give a specific example of something, right? Um, so I don't like Clint Eastwood a lot. I'm not a big fan of Clint Eastwood directed, starring, but mm-hmm. he made a western called Unforgiven. Yeah, and I fucking love Unforgiven. That's my favorite Clint Eastwood movie. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like that, I could sink into the character a lot. Um, like I felt. And there was a lot of like really interesting characters too. Like the, it wasn't just uber, mm-hmm. uber masculine. Like there is was, it the there one with Morgan of, Freeman in it? Yes. Yeah, that movie's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan Freeman and Gene Hackman. Mm, think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that movie's fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think the cast is a lot of fun. James Franco, uh, Brendan Gleeson, Timothy Blake Nelson. Uh, we're. I feel like there's more, but I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of them. Tom Waits. Yep. Tom Waits. Mm-hmm. 
Who is in the... They didn't put his name on the screen in the trailer, but he's in that like trolley in the dark scene. And he's talking in the super posh British accent with a curly mustache. Oh, all right. We're not going to get anywhere with that. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, I'm excited for it. Mm-hmm. Be cool. Uh, that's going to be coming out on Netflix soon. Look for that in True Detective up in the future. Let's uh let's dive into some sports though. Let's talk about some sports, bro. Yeah. Let's talk about some sports. Okay, okay, let's do it. You are you gonna do it the whole time in that let's voice? Talk about sports. What do you do? You, okay, sports. so I know we're gonna talk about. Let's just do it because I know how hype you are. Let's talk about those Duke boys. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Yeah, yeah. So last night, the NCAA basketball season kicked off. And Duke played Kentucky and beat that ass. So it looks terrifying. Okay, so Duke, preseason rank number four, beat Kentucky, preseason rank number two, by like 30 or 25 or something? No, no, no. It was, uh, I think it ended up at like 33 points. They beat them by over 30 points. And And it wasn't that close. Huh? And it wasn't even that close. What do you mean? Like... They beat him by 33, but it felt like more. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, for those that don't know anything about uh, men's basketball or just, like, kind of out of the loop, uh, Duke has the uh, current number one recruiting class, class in the country. Uh, in the and country. the projected potential one, two, and three picks in the NBA draft. So, they have three guys right now that are all wings for the most yeah. part. Um in R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and Cam Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zion Williamson is probably he's the famous. most. He's the most popular. He literally has like two million fucking Instagram followers right now. This dude's literally been all from, since he was in the womb. Literally all from just the videos of him playing uh, basketball in high school, dunking on people. Yeah, which I am so. Sorry, like I feel so. He's bad. so much more than a dunker. Well, no, okay, I feel so bad for all of those people that he played high school. With. Oh yeah, that's messed. Up. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Like, I have a, like I, ha- so I have a, I can relate to it a tiny little bit. So uh, I think it was yeah senior year. I was playing defensive end in a preseason game, and you know all all preseason we'd been practicing learning our de- you know learning our techniques and we had to you know you had to you know you get your hand position and you squeeze down as a defensive end. You got to cut off the running lanes before you do anything else. First play of the game. This, this dude, this dude must have been six, five, 300 pounds in high school. He was massive. Right. And I was like, this is my life today. Right. I mean, come on. Right. So I do, I do the thing and I do it perfect on the first play. And I tackle the guy on the first play of the game. Well, this dude comes out on the next play of the game and is very upset with me apparently for making the tackle. And he literally, he literally, got his hands on my shoulder pads and lifted me off the ground. And we had to watch back on film and I got made fun of him. The film session, he literally took me all the way across the screen and off the screen. Mm -hmm. That's like 15, 20 yards. He put, he just carried me Mm -hmm. like off this. And I was just like, our coach was like, uh, what happened there? And I was like, what do you, I, he was giant. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you mean? What happened? And, and, and you know what do you expect from me? <laughs> and you know what's crazy? Like, imagine that dude, and imagine if he had a forty-five inch yeah. vertical <laughs> leap 
and that's run Zion. And was so fast. And that's Zion Williamson. Oh, yeah. He's a absolute freak of nature. He's mm-hmm. someone who literally, if you say that he's built like a linebacker, that's an understatement yeah. because of how big he is. He's he built, is built like an NFL defensive end. Yeah. He is six foot seven, at least 285. 285. Yeah. And he is crazy athletic. He's a freak. Um, yeah. He's, he's an absolute freak of nature and very skilled. Is w- the the craziest thing mm-hmm. about Zion is the fact that like he can call, just calling him yeah. a dunker is an understatement. Yeah. He is able to play. He scored make. from all over the place last night. He is able to play make. He can play defense. He's he has the right mentality. Deadly in transition. Incredible, like nuts. passing, not just not just scoring, but passing his vision. So my favorite play from last night. Well, there was a lot of highlights from last night. I know with what you're w- about. B- between the the three uh, freshmen. Yeah. Uh, the superstar freshmen that are on Duke, but. My favorite play from last night wasn't even a dunk. Mm-hmm. It was the the block that he had on one yep. of the centers. He straight up stole the ball from the dude. <laughs> one-handed stole the ball from the guy, ran the break, and then threw a perfect bounce, bounce pass. pass to R.J. Barrett in transition. He laid it, it in through contact. Beautiful. Both of them showcasing skill sets. Yeah, exactly. Just beautiful. And and both of them just like got yeah, we each like, other. We like jumped off our couch and we're like freaking out. Because the block was so nasty. Yeah. And then just being able to do that and then being able to beat everybody in transition with the ball in your hand. Mm-hmm. That, it's incredible. And then the, not it's just incredible. the vision, but also the, the ability to make the pass. Yeah. These yeah. are all things that I think most people didn't know Zion could do. Yeah, exactly. Like Because... It was not all of these highlights um, from Zion were nothing but him yeah. dunking on like five foot five. Guys yeah, in, yeah, in exactly. High school, um, which was like super unfair. And there's a lot of like there's a lot of uh, highlight culture with basketball yep. and with sports in general where like you can literally I can cut up a, a game film of Evan Fournier. Of Evan Fournier <laughs> And make him look like a superstar because yeah. he is—he's very gifted as mm-hmm. a player, but he's very inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times that you can see someone like like Kyrie Irving, um, or an Evan Fournier, J.R. Smith, guys like that. I, I'm not gonna put I, Kyrie is obviously way better yeah. than those <laughs> other two guys, but th- he has a lot of faults in his game as well. Yeah. And he's someone who, literally on a highlight film, looks, looks like, like the, a god. Looks like the greatest player in the NBA. Yeah. Um, but. It's weird how that was sort of the inverse thing with Zion Williamson. Yeah. Whereas when you actually see him play in real life, he's more he's than his highlights. better than what his highlights are showing because he's not just uh, defensively minded. Yep. Or uh, he's not just du- uh, dunking. Dunk, he's dunking. defensively minded, and he's a, a the th- an incredible I th- playmaker. I think and the thing that Im- that impressed me the most was the the camaraderie of the team. There's so there's no ego on that team. There's. Th- yeah, they're so unselfish, and they're they all seem tell. like genuine friends. Like mm-hmm. they were celebrating each other's successes, and they're like they're they, and they know they're like we're fucking ruined. Really yeah, yeah, they're so good they're and they know enjoying it. Yeah, they're, which is yeah. kind of cool. They're gonna, yeah. I, I I thought this right after we watched the game. I was like, I can't wait to watch the thirty thirty on this team. Mm-hmm. The in like fifteen years, there's gonna be a thirty for thirty on this team. It's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they were a lot of fun to watch, especially if they go. But one, two, I'll and say three. this. Chill out, college referees. Oh my fucking god! Man. Let these dudes play. What there was a, a majority of the game, you would not go three possessions mm-hmm. uh, without them calling a foul. Yeah, it was crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, they're they are scary good, and I don't. I mean, I don't know a lot about college basketball. Yeah, we don't, teams we're not too versed in college um, basketball, but. but I. They looked so fucking good, and if they were able to do that against Kentucky, yeah, 
who well I know ha- for, also has a lot of talent. Yeah. They well, had, there's a reason they were preseason ranked number two. They, they were preseason ranked number two, and they also had the second best draft class. The, the second best recruiting class. They have <laughs> two dudes I think on their starting lineup who are projected lottery picks this year. Mm-hmm. They have a transfer from Stanford who's like a two-time All Pac-12 player, and that dude got roasted out there all night. Like there was nothing they could do. Well, he also he he had the best game out of anybody on Kentucky. either him or the guard. Uh, I forget his name. Keldon Johnson. Yeah, one of them two mm-hmm. had the best game. Yeah, they were the only ones who scored even in double digits on the team. Yeah, was I think it's uh, Johnson, Keldon Johnson, uh, DJ Washington, and Travis is the the guy. Travis Ware. I think it's something Travis. Yeah, okay. I thought his last name is Travis. But, okay. Um, but yeah, they're going to be crazy. Yeah, fun I'm going to watch. watch. You know, I, I'm not going to watch every Duke game, but I'm going to watch when Duke's in tournaments. You know how college does it throughout the season, all these random tournaments and stuff. And when they play ranked teams, I'm going to want to watch that. I don't know, dude. Like, okay, so they're playing Army on Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to watch that game. If they can <laughs> fucking beat Kentucky by 30. That's not even, that, that's not even fair. Oh, my God. What are, they, I'm what, are they, what are they gonna though. do to the boys in the I'm armed forces? Really, you I'm, think I'm not gonna watch? <laughs> you know how much how much punish joy? my people. <laughs> you know how much joy I'm gonna get out of that? I'm, I'm really, punishing the military people. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I'm really excited for the tournament though for March Madness with them mm-hmm. because tra- traditionally, a team with a a dynamic on ball guard. Those types of teams make runs in in the college tournament, and I will always shout back to Kemba Walker Hashtag winning, Kemba. winning me fifty dollars in high school because I'll <laughs> ride or die with that. With that, when you have the guard who can who can be ball dominant and can take over a game, that will win you tournament games. And, well, and also, but just, they have like three dudes that can do it now. But also, just the nature of the tournament itself. Yeah. It's not the playoffs. One and where done. You, where if you, you lose, you're out. If you lose, you can have a bad game yep. and someone's out, or if someone gets hurt. Yep. I think that's uh, that going to be something i know that cameron reddish has already had some injury, injury issues um if one of those big three in in a person Duke, like zion williamson you're always afraid are they too explosive for their own good that yeah. they're going to take out their own body yeah i brought that a up during Derek the game. Rose. Uh, i yeah i brought up bo jackson yeah uh, how he like literally just fucking tore his hip out because he was so, so fucking fast powerful. And powerful yeah um and is that something that science gonna have to watch out for yeah. i don't know I mean, I uh, sport, and if, sports science and and medicine is far the farthest it's ever been, and I think athletes think more about taking care of themselves now more than ever. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw games throughout the season where Coach K doesn't play guys like Zion or, mm-hmm. or like do veteran rest days for freshmen in college. Right. I wouldn't be surprised to see that mm-hmm. when they're playing teams like Army. Yeah, because come on, you're Duke. You can beat them without. Your start, your backup lineup could probably beat most teams in college basketball. You're Duke. True. So, I'm interested to see not only how the season plays out. I'm really interested to see the tournament, and then obviously, I'm very excited for next year when these dudes are in the league, because the league just it just keeps giving. The mm-hmm. NBA just keeps providing entertainment, mm-hmm. and we're three weeks in. We had another 50 point game from Derrick Rose. We had this nonsense 48-point game out of Jamal Murray and now all this crazy stuff with Kyrie uh, yeah, so, after. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up. So uh, so Jamal Murray drops 48 points, five rebounds, six assists. Great has game. the game of his fucking Great life. Great game. Uh, just unstoppable. Uh, and the Nuggets are 9-1. and one. 
the the Nuggets are nine and one without uh what's that dude uh oh my God Will Barton and without Michael Porter Jr. Right. who could Michael, show up and Mike, add more. Oh my God, that's what's so in- insane yeah. is the fact yeah, that like, he might Will the Thrills like their sixth man and he's not even playing. Like you have a guy like Michael Porter Jr. who could sit out the entire season. They could still make the playoffs and then. If you know if he's healing up correctly, mm-hmm. and you know he could be their eighth, ninth dude off the bench in the playoffs. Yeah, and and he's there with what, his shooting overall like pick that. That would be fucking incredible, be crazy. Um, but the this this thing with Kyrie, uh, Jamal Murray wanted fifty. He obviously wanted fifty, and as the clock was expiring, he shot a a deep three with no one around him. He missed it. He didn't get the fifty. Right, but Kyrie got real mad. Kyrie took the ball, which Jamal Murray obviously wanted. You know, it's the best game of his career. Wants to keep the ball. Kyrie threw it into the stands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have a problem with the shot? No, me neither. I'm no. into it. So uh, this is something that I wanted to bring up, and I feel like Rachel Nichols actually articulated it really well. And the Yo, reason- shout out Rachel Nichols on the jump. Yeah, She's yeah. Great. She said this on the jump about how uh, she felt like it came out of a place that wasn't. He wasn't stunting on the Celtics. He was literally just, "Hey, I want 50." Yeah. Because so 50 is huge. Yeah. 50 is a, a, it's like, okay, is the difference from 49 to 50 arbitrary? Yes. Yeah. But it's 50. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it has this, uh, like, uh, this special factor to it. it well, and the difference between dropping 48 and 50 is so much, like, in two seasons time, uh, fucking, if, if you're a Nuggets fan, you'd be like, uh, and you're talking to a Celtics fan, you could be like, well, Fucking Jamal uh, Murray dropped fifty on your boys. Like, yeah, not forty-eight. Yeah, it's, it's forty-eight not, doesn't have the same ring to yeah, it. Yeah, because then you have to say forty. You can't say fifty, even though it's closer to fifty. You can't say it. Yeah. Um. But it's also something that when I see someone that is like trying to stunt. Like, it kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, like, how would you differentiate what Jamal Murray did to, we've had this conversation with football mm-hmm. about, say there's a team that's up uh, and they're kneeling the ball. Mm-hmm. And the defensive team is like kind of supposed to hang back. And they dive at the legs and right. stuff trying to And they actually actively try to play. Okay. I have said before that, I'm like, it's still a game, you know, like why, okay, so why gonna, wouldn't you keep playing? Why wouldn't you like, try? Yeah. So I think one, the, the biggest difference difference here is that what the football players are doing is more dangerous. Okay. Not only are you playing a more dangerous sport mm-hmm. where your literal long-term life is on the line True. and there's this brotherhood and camaraderie of taking care of each other's health in the way you play the game, mm-hmm. you are then putting that at huge risk when you're diving at dude's knees, trying to force a fumble on a kneel down. It's just disrespectful of the, the health of your opponent. But is it always just diving at people's yeah, knees? Yeah, that's what they do basically. Or, the, or, is it always, or is you it have 100% no, always sure diving not, at people's but it, knees, but it's also if you 95% of the time they don't even do anything. They just let them kneel. There was this one time a couple years ago when... Why do they do that? Why do they do what? Why do they... Because mathematically, time-wise, mm-hmm. the game is over. Because okay. you can get the snap and kneel and run out the clock. And it's... You have no timeouts left. There's nothing you can do to save the time. The only hope you have 
is hoping the quarterback fumbles the snap and you mm-hmm. can grab it. It's your right. only dream. Right. And I don't think that's ever happened. I can't think of one time that a quarterback and center have fumbled a snap on a kneel down and it's saved the other team's chances at the game. I can't think of one. Right. How is that different in terms of all Jamal Murray's doing? Not only was he, you know, he was trying to get his 50, but he shot it from so deep. Yeah, it wasn't. Like, he, was, he didn't, I saw, he didn't drive um, into I saw the Bob, lane. Bob Ryan on Around the Horn, uh-huh. uh, new look Around the Horn, looking good, augmented mm-hmm. reality. Uh, he said, it'd be a different story if he drove to the rim unmolested and laid it in. Unmolested? He said unmolested. Why you gotta and I use... was like, Bob Ryan, you're an old man. <laughs> you're in the Hall of Fame, but you're an old dude. You're saying unmolested. Yeah, dude. But Don't it's use verbs, verbs yeah. like that with it's sports. True. It's weird. Like, if he had just like gone to the rim and been like, ooh, look at me... I still would have been me personally. I still would have been cool with it. This is like, oh, let me let me see if uh, this is gonna go in. Yeah, exactly. And he, yeah, he just he shot it from like thirty five feet or something. It was goofy. Mm-hmm. No, like, yeah, I I still think that in football you should play out the down. I I dive. I mean, at dudes, knees, for the most not. part, they you know the linemen will they come off the ball and they right. they don't do anything super violent, but they still do that. Mm-hmm. And you'll always see, uh, you see it in college a lot. They'll do this thing where they, they take the snap and then they they go backwards. The quarterback will go backwards mm-hmm. like five yards and then kneel. And you'll always see like the defensive ends will come around the edge and he'll wait until they're just close enough and then mm-hmm. he'll kneel safely. Yeah. I mean, they still do something, but I don't think they should do anything more than they do now. What uh, what was that coach's name? The the Bucks guy. Um. Oh man, that's gonna drive me crazy. Well, that, that was the that's the, when we talked about this. This was several years ago. Mm-hmm. This was like four years ago or something. He literally had the defensive line like dive rush. toward the ball and punch yeah. at the ball, and it was dangerous. Right. <clears throat> that is wrong. I don't have a problem with you know coming off the ball okay. in a normal sense, but it's when I, you're doing the dangerous, you know, attacking the knees and stuff like that, trying to make the improbable happen in that right. scenario. It's unsportsmanlike. Yeah, I, well, I think that it, it comes down to the, like, what is your threshold of being unsportsmanlike? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different perspectives on yeah, it. For sure. Like, obviously, Kyrie thought that what Dude, Jamal Kyrie Murray Kyrie is still mad about it right now. Kyrie thought that what Jamal Murray did was unsportsmanlike, which I think the term I think he a used majority was, of people disagree with. Him. Yeah, well, he'd use the term petty, I think. <laughs> which what he did was way more way petty. More petty. Like, like pettiness is. Oh man. Like, if, uh, yeah. Excuse me if I'm using pettiness incorrectly, but pettiness is about this is spiteful. Yeah. No. Know? Yeah. Kyrie it, was it's way more reactionary. Petty. Yeah. And what Kyrie did was way more petty. Yeah. Literally throwing the ball. Apparently. Petty. Tom Pete. Uh, apparently that ball, like uh, a kid caught that in the crowd mm-hmm. and he was wearing like a Jamal Murray jersey. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, like the the Nuggets are trying to like negotiate with him and his family yeah. in order to get the game Well, that's back. cool because they can do, you know, you can come meet Jamal or something. That would be dope. Cool. Yeah, that'd be really cool. That'd, that'd be, really be a cool, cool. story. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Kyrie was petty as hell and it's still being petty. He's still like, shouldn't have taken the hammer. Calm down. Mm-hmm. I love the argument of, if you don't want to score 50, then guard him. I mm-hmm. love that. Cause it's like, it, there's 10 seconds left. If you, if you are as passionate as Kyrie is about him, not scoring the 50 and not taking that shot, go guard him, go stop him from taking the shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's hysterical. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had no problem with it. No. Fucking get your 50. I kid. wish you made it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I wish, I you wish made you it. got the 51. And, but uh, also 
He's probably going to do it again this year. Yeah, he's a gang. He's he's yeah. amazing. He's a great scorer. Yeah, but he's also reason, only 21, 20, 21 years. Twenty one, right? Yeah, he's young as hell. He's only like his third season. Uh, another reason the 50 is so important is because of this explosion we've had of the 50-point games. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about last time uh, Clay, Steph had had one, and Blake Griffin had already had one. Now Derrick Rose has had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the most, like, he had, not only did Derrick Rose have a 50-point game, he had a career high. The dude who won MVP when he was 23 years old or whatever had a career high. Did you see it, or were you... I was watching it. I don't know if you were watching it. What? When Derrick Rose. No, I didn't. You see didn't it. see it. It was emotional as hell. Yeah. I saw the end of, of it. Yeah. I don't, I don't and the interview that he did after and everything. Yeah. This is a dude who's just, he's gone through so much and has been <clears throat> pretty forward about his, his mental struggles as well. Uh, as being an athlete. No, I, okay. he, I don't, he, he hasn't done it in the way that, um, Kevin Love. Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan have talked about depression so openly, but he is sort of in the public eye has gone through things where he's basically quit playing before and then has come back after time off and is clearly someone who seems to be someone who struggles with some mental health stuff. Right. Um, and he just, he was so emotional after he scored those 50 points. And he's also, he's also dealt with a lot of off physical the, problems, physical problems as well as off the court. issues. Well, I was going to bring that up next. Mm-hmm. The very, I would say, poorly handled announcement at the end of the... Did you hear the the announcer at the end of the no. game? So at the end of the game, the camera guy got up close to Derrick Rose, and you could see him crying, and his team swarming him. And the, 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 the announcer, the Timberwolves announcer, said something along the lines of, he's a great player, um, and this is a huge moment for him, but he has these off-the-court... Or he said... He said, I don't know anything about it, and he's a, and he plays hard, and all I know is that he plays hard, but we don't know if what he did was right, and we don't know if he's innocent, and he has a court... Like, some, he said some... Like, the way he phrased it, and the, the fact that he even brought it up in that moment was so weird, because Derrick Rose has a pending investigation into some sort of... Assault, right? Assault thing, but something that he's already been cleared for... Legally, and it's being appealed. Okay. I'm pretty sure is is the story. I'm pretty right. sure he went through the court system, was not found guilty in any way, and now the person is appealing it or something along those lines. I, I don't, I, I'm not fully versed in it, but it's something that for the most part seems to be behind him. And then this announcer like brought it back up in this really awkward way. I mean, it, it was very uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that you we can't talk about the fact that he's gone through these things off the court. That doesn't mean that you can't. Yeah. 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 He has gone through off the court things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Is, uh, I don't know if there's anything other than that. I know he was gone that, through that. That's all that I've heard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's gone through so much in his career and mm-hmm. is still only what? 31 or something. 30, 31 years old. He's yeah. playing great in Minnesota. Yeah doing his thing that there's so much about minnesota that like i with the whole jimmy butler situation i want them to be good like there's a part of me that wants jimmy butler to go to miami and then there's another part that just that wants everything to work out yeah and and for the idea of the timberwolves to solidify and for them to be able to compete i mean jimmy is like taking games off all the time and 
I doubt it's going to happen. Yeah, he's clearly still not happy. Yeah. Which I don't know what they could do to make him happy outside of, I guess, extending him with a max deal, I guess. I don't know. Um, or getting rid of Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins or something. I don't know. Right. I don't. That's definitely not going to happen because they're not going to give up the young studs for the 30-year-old guy. Right. Um, you you don't think that there's a potential of them trading away at least Wiggins? Uh, the the reason I would say there's no chance is because he's overpaid. So they're not going to get back. The only team I think that could even possibly do that is the Kings, hmm. and I don't think they would. Right. Um, I think if Andrew Wiggins was on a more reasonable contract, then maybe. And I just don't think they would ever trade Carl Anthony Towns. If Jimmy Butler was 25, it'd be a different story, but he's not. True. So something un- uh, within the realm of the uh, NBA that I wanted to bring up mm-hmm. um, that I thought that was really cool. Um, it's something with uh, news within the NBA that's not really anything about basketball. Um, well, former former Orlando Magic boy, Bismack Biombo. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you've uh, this read is super this dope. Ar- yeah, I don't know if you read this article that was posted on Reddit, but Sports Illustrated uh, released an article about Bismack Biombo and his uh, charitable work mm-hmm. uh, that he's been doing for the Democratic Republic of Congo, which, which is where he's from. Which is where he's from. Yeah. But uh, basically, what he's been doing is he's been. Using his seventeen million dollars a year, that yeah, he's, <laughs> the money that he doesn't—he he probably shouldn't be getting paid, right? Uh, but he's using that money for one of for like, good, for really awesome causes. Yeah. Um, he has been creating scholarships for kids in order for them to go to uh, high school in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he's also like refurbishing hospitals within the Congo, and he even is funding his own high school. He's fucking yeah. LeBron. He's going shit. LeBron over yeah. in Africa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has uh, since his rookie year. He's been doing basketball camps out yep. there. Like the first year that he did it, he only had like twenty five kids, and now he's got like thousands of kids yeah. coming to these uh, basketball camps uh, within uh, Congo. Um, and there was this quote that I pulled from the sports uh, Sports Illustrated article. He said, uh, "In the the Congo." Kids are not able to live like kids. They have to mature fast. They have to figure out a way to survive. And he was, and he talked about um, how hard it was for just kids to go to school mm-hmm. and missing meals um, because it's uh, because it's hard for their parents to find jobs. Yeah. And uh, this idea of the Congo having um, of it being a poor country is actually kind of wrong. the The country itself is worth like twenty seven trillion dollars or some shit like Jeez. that. Um, but the population is poor. That's what yeah. is, is so fucked up. Um, but yeah, he's just trying to do his best, his best to help, them. uh, to, to help his, uh, his homeland. That's and awesome. I, I just thought it was fucking really. Yeah. Cool. I think I saw a comment on that, on that article that kind of summed it up really great. It, they put, uh, Bismack Biombo's contract, bad for the NBA, great for the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's, I honestly, like if I'm the Hornets and, and his contract is on my books, I'm like, you know what? At least he's doing good with it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was just something that like I wanted to bring up. It's something that like fucking, yeah, it deserves, th- it deserves recognition. It, it, it deserves recognition, but I just, I, I believe in fucking putting out that positivity, that positivity in the world. Yeah. Like, like it's just, well, it's I really also easy. think that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of athletes, there's this, this stigma of how athletes aren't good people and stuff. And 
there's so many athletes that do so much awesome work in their communities and stuff. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it goes unnoticed by people. Yeah. So when you get the opportunity to share that kind of stuff, I think it's mm-hmm. cool. Um, did you see the other NBA thing today? They, fi- they, they finally uh, agreed to televise the NBA and the, uh, the all-star draft, the, all-star the draft, draft of yeah. the all-star teams, Fuck. which finally can't believe that didn't happen last year. Yeah. I was so disappointed yeah, last was, year when they decided not to do that. Who's going to be the captains? Uh, so is, is it still East West? Cause yep. last year it ended up being the, that. so the highest vote getter from each conference will be a captain and okay. the captains can choose from the pool of all all-stars. That's why Steph and LeBron were captains last year. Steph in the West, LeBron in the East. But now the East is open. Is it going to be Kawhi? Is it going to be Kyrie? Is it going to be Giannis? Giannis. Do you think Giannis will be captain? I think it's going to be come down to Giannis or Kawhi. Okay. I want it to be Giannis. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'd like <laughs> Kawhi. <laughs> if Kawhi. I choose <laughs> Steph Curry. I am Kawhi Leonard. I am a basketball player. <laughs> him being a captain. I wish I could laugh like him, though. Like, I can't. <laughs> uh, him being a captain and seeing him on TV would only be entertaining for the novelty of it. Yeah. You know, like Giannis like, is actually fun. Yeah, he's he's, he's a got a great personality. He's a, sweetheart. he's a sweetheart. He's really funny. He's yeah. really goofy. Um, yeah, so it would just be really cool to see like him and LeBron. Although or... I did see Sergi Baca said something about uh, he was like Kawhi is a normal person yeah. when when you know him. It's just you know you get this idea of him from what you see on TV, and he was like, mm. I want to have him on my show so I can show people his real personality. His cooking show. His cooking show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sergi Baca has a cooking Wait, show. Who's hungry or yeah. something? <laughs> and I was like, please have Kawhi Apparently on your Apparently he's show. like an amazing fucking cook. Serge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Serge is like an amazing cook. Mm-hmm. That's why he does that show. I, I love the, the extracurricular stuff of the NBA players, the stuff they get into. Yeah, Victor like, Oladipo's R&B, R&B albums. albums. and He's a talented uh, motherfucker, yeah. man. Ja- JaVale McGee's YouTube channel like all he this does great, yeah he has a youtube yeah. channel i didn't know that yeah they, they're just so fun and creative in the nba i love it yeah um but yeah that'll be fun to look forward to i i don't know if lebron or steph will win captain and west but i would assume it's one of them yeah i would say one of those two maybe ad if he stays uh healthy i don't think he'll ever no you're you're an mvp mindset this is all-star mindset dog this is the people voting ad would never get as many votes as them oh okay yeah, um, the only it's okay. So normal people can vote for all stars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know how how it's done. Yeah. Um, so like me I'm and pretty you sure can vote for who, like who so is an all star. All star starters, yeah, are voted for by fans, and then the all star reserves are chosen by a combination of coaches and players. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes. That makes sense then. Yeah. That uh, yeah, it's not going to be AD. Yeah, it's going to be AD. it's going to be LeBron or Steph, right? Yeah. You would think, mm-hmm. or Clay for the meme. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's going to be really. I I hope that they fucking line I'm, them up. I'm, yeah, I'm really interested to see the production <laughs> of the. It's because this is a TV show. I'm really interested in the production of the TV show. Like like line them up on a uh, on a fence like <laughs> like a dodgeball fucking yeah. Like a, like a middle school gym class. Yeah. <laughs> they all have to stand there and get picked. And then whoever's last gets made fun of. I hope they make fun of them. 
be in sick. like a fun way, like a yeah. nice fun. Because it's funny, like being like the last picked All Star means you're what the thirty second best basketball player in the world. Yeah. Oh darn. Yeah. Shucks. Thirty. There's sixteen players per team or something. I don't know. I don't think there's sixteen. Uh, oh, is there uh, thirteen per team or something? Yeah, I want to say it's yeah less than something that. like that. I don't know. I want to say like twelve. Or yeah, th- yeah, maybe 12 something or like that. But yeah, you're a top thirty. Yeah, at what you do in the world. In the world, yeah. and yeah, like the the idea that people were like, oh man, nobody wants to be humiliated by being the last pick. I mean, nut up, dude. You're great <laughs> at what you do. You're in the all star game. Have a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I just think like. The, the the amount of potential, like, if Kyrie's a captain and, like, there's the explosion, if he doesn't pick LeBron or something. Like, just the things that people will the di- do. The different the, narratives, the narratives that, that will come out of it is so fun. Yeah, yeah. I I love it. I, I'm very excited to watch and, that and, and television seeing, show. Yeah, and seeing how uh, different athletes react to yeah. getting picked last or yeah. who they get kicked uh, And what kind of personalities last. that are there. Like, you know, some people... Like, you know, like Steph is going to be super fun and mm-hmm. carefree about it. And Clay's going to be goofy, yeah. but, and like LeBron will have fun with it. But you also know that like KD will probably just be like KD about it. Russ will be very animated mm-hmm. and then Kawhi will be a robot. Yeah. They'll pick Kawhi first and he'll go, <laughs> and he'll stand there with the same expression the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that. Uh, you want to talk some UFC? Let's do it, dude. All right. I've got – make sure I get all these names right. So this past weekend was UFC 230. Ooh. 230. UFC 230 featured the most wholesome title fight of all time. The war of Carl's Jr. versus Popeye's, the heavyweight title on the line. Can you explain what that is first before <laughs> okay, you just drop so, that? So Daniel Cormier, heavyweight and light heavyweight champion, fought Derek Lewis, who we talked about very recently for his – comedic almost victory over Volkov where he knocked Volkov out while exhausted. And he said something about Popeye's chicken afterward and sprung a relationship, I guess Popeye's uh, loved that Derek Lewis loves them. And they were talking on social media. And then Daniel Cormier trash talked his Popeye's and backed Carl's jr. Mm-hmm. And the, then the, it just became this really wholesome rivalry. Between fast food joints? <laughs> yeah. That, like, didn't they sponsor the fight? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, they were, like, tweeting during the event, like, all this stuff. But uh, but on top the, of that bit, just the wholesome respect for each other they had and just kind of goofiness they approached the fight with. Ariel Hawani brought it up, brought this up after the Khabib-Connor fiasco yep. that happened uh, at the at the fight that that uh, Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis won. Uh, yeah. uh, it was literally at. the last UFC title, exactly uh, numbered card. It was right. two twenty nine, two twenty nine, um, where there was all this bad blood mm-hmm. and violence that came out of all of this trash trash talking and stuff. Yep. And there was sort of like this a, a lot of trash talking. You are like, oh, but like you know, it's just for the superficial. Show. It's for the show, it's for the show, but it sort of lost that good natured quality yep. to it where you're like, Oh, especially after the fight was over, especially all that stuff well, like the it. fight was over and shit, shit kept happening. Yeah. And I don't it know got violent you, but and like, scary in a way, but like uh, me, I'm like, stop. I like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm immediately like, stop fucking doing this. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this? When like, there's all, you see what, you know, us in puff fucking Buffalo wild wings, you know, a hundred miles away from this fight. Uh, 
we're not wrapped up in those emotions yeah. like and we're not irish or russian, russian therefore yeah. like aren't uh, we don't feel this uh, countryman's pride yeah um this tribal mentality yeah um but coming out of that was the complete opposite. Ariel Hawani said yeah. that this is exactly what the UFC, the UFC needed. Yeah. The, 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 this wholesome sort of like semi-trash talking. Fr- like friendly rivalry. Literally both like sitting next to each other in the press conferences just talking shit about, about chicken. About, yeah, about chicken <laughs> and about fast food joints and about and like they're literally both smiling. Yeah, while and doing then it. complimenting each other yeah. for like you know, their community outreach and yeah. their personalities and their, their skills as fighters. Like they, they had nothing but respect. Cause they, for each cause other. they both are very lovable people. Yeah, Derek Lewis uh, is uh, known for when, when the hurricane, when the hurricane happened, hit Houston, he was driving around in his truck, like pulling people out of the water. Exactly. I mean, he's just a great fucking yeah. person. And Daniel Cormier through his um, being an announcer has shown UFC, people, yeah. has shown people how goofy and, and fun yeah. his personality. Three is. years ago. Uh, is uh, maybe four years ago before the jo- the first John Jones incident, everyone in the world hated Daniel Cormier mm-hmm. because he was the merely the shadow of yeah. of John Jones' yeah. greatness. Yeah, and it was like a stain on. It was like get out of here. You're not John Jones. Yeah, and then everything happened with John, and it was still this thing where people liked John more than DC, mm-hmm. and then DC started attacking John's character, and people it made people hate, hate DC even, even more. more, and it kept going until DC was able to put himself out there through being an announcer and through social media and stuff like that and being like like he's just a he's a he's a dad he's a goofy dad yeah yeah that's really what he is yeah. um but yeah, once he was able to separate himself from, from that John. narrative yeah. and create his own narrative yeah. that's when people are like and the oh thing is, dc's actually really cool the thing is you can like them both there's yeah. nothing wrong with that yeah. i like them both for yeah, different and, reasons and we're both of the mindset that we want we want the narrative of John Jones to be a villain. He, we oh, want God. him to he's, lean dude, he started, into he, he, we'll the talk Darth about Vaderness we'll talk about, of his character. We'll talk about 231 after we recap 230, but he Okay. Mm, <laughs> he's getting into it. Um so I I just put a couple fights that I thought we should bring up. I, yeah, I said the three first, fights. Yeah, I've got three fights as well. The first one is someone you had shamefully never heard of. Israel the last style bender, Adesanya, fought mm-hmm. Derek Brunson, a legit middleweight fighter mm-hmm. who has knocked dudes out and been in the octagon with the greats. And style bender went in there and roasted ran, ran him. Ran through him. Oh, ran through him. That boy is good. I mean, that was, to me, that was like uh, Anderson Silva versus Chris Lieben. You know, like this fucking incredible coming out, at least coming for out me, party. Yeah. Uh, it was a coming out party for style bender. Um, hey, incredible nickname. Yeah, the last the, style. Bender the last awesome. style bender is a dope nickname. Uh, he's incredibly fun to watch. Great personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, his interview after the fight was awesome. He did a great job on the mic. Yeah, he's yeah he's got he's fucking. Uh, Which that's become its own thing in the UFC, right? What you say after your your victory has become its own spectacle and its own um, like launching off point for fighters. Like you can use your time with Joe Rogan mm-hmm. to shoot your shot. Almost to get the the best fight for yourself. Well, yeah, so to sell yourself, yeah, yeah, to sell yourself to set up a, a fight that you really want. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's a, a career stepping off point, but it's also an exposition of your personality, yeah. of who you are as mm-hmm. a human being. Like that's something that it, uh, UFC has a, a big advantage of that. I, I, I want them to lean more into. It's something that the NBA fucking yeah, they're the kings they, of it. The NBA they, is the kings of it. Yeah. Uh, the, the be, being able to capture their personalities and use the personalities yeah. to their advantage, 
uh, is something that I think the UFC is getting better at. Um, and and I think part of it is guys letting themselves not just be the macho. I'm gonna knock out whoever I fight, or I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go in there and you know demolish. Be more than that. Be who you really are when you're not in the ring, mm-hmm. and let us see that. Right. Which I think is is cool. Yeah. Whether like you're, Daniel Cormier's done. Whether I mean like. Connor is able to be that hyper macho type, uh, but he's also like, he's clever. Mm-hmm. You know, there there mm-hmm. isn't he he isn't just saying the same old cliche. He's like a poet. When yeah, <laughs> the, like the, the line "We're not here to take part. We're, We're here to take over." Yeah, or is such um, a cool fucking line. Um, power. Uh, timing beats, uh, speed and precision beats power mm-hmm. that it's same a, thing a dope line it's amazing he's very <laughs> economical with his words mm-hmm. to where like you can tell that he's he wrote that shit before he yeah. even stepped into yeah yeah, yeah yeah practiced um, it in the mirror <laughs> um and i think that's a lot a lot of people a lot of fighters don't might they either don't care well, about I think it it's or hard didn't, to do i think it's it's hard to do it's a gift and a lot of them just don't worry about mm-hmm. that they're like I, let me worry about my fight my fight just which is fine i mean you don't yeah. have to do this but you don't have to the people that are going to go above and beyond are the people that excel mm-hmm. with the microphone. Uh, true. Um, but also knowing yourself. Yeah. Knowing well, who you are. I think are. George St. Pierre is a good example. George St. Pierre is very cookie cutter mm-hmm. when speaking, but he's also a weirdo. And sometimes when that shows, it's really endearing when you find yeah. out that he's afraid of aliens and he, stuff. It's it's like, uh-huh. let that out a little bit. Um. But but he's also he's very sweet too. Yeah. Like the, the 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 weirdness doesn't really come through the, pe- the post fight press yeah. conferences as much. I just said it's a sweetness. But yeah. like yeah, but uh, someone like uh, Stipe Miocic, mm-hmm. like he's just so fucking homegrown. I just won that fight. I'm a firefighter. <laughs> he talks about fucking remaking his kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like every time he fights, he has a new home project he's working on. <laughs> Uh, like th- that is just as endearing yeah. as uh, it's just t- about being open and being your yourself, personality yeah. being open. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, the just the 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 shout out to just uh, Stylebender for the coming out party. That dude was it was incredible. Ooh, he was crazy. He's good. crazy fun to watch. Yeah, uh, his I'm, striking, his striking is so good uh, that I'm sort of so worried creative. once he starts getting into these upper. Yeah, now once you get into the top ten, the top ten, top five guys. Can you keep being like that? That's can where he the keep being test. like that? But also, yeah. with like, if he comes can you get across, expo- will you get exposed? Will he get bent by a certain kind of style? Yeah, like a Ooh. good wrestler. Ooh. Like, so if he fights someone, perhaps from the next fight, Jacare and Chris Weidman, I'm assuming was also on your list. Yes, that fight was dope. It was an incredible fight. That fight was dope. That I mean, that was the I, I, that was the best fight in the card, right? Yes, I was fight. not expecting. Jocker versus Weidman to be this lit this <laughs> I don't want to say brawl because it was very technical mm-hmm. but this this striking showcase mm-hmm. that it was so offensive and aggressive yeah, yeah. I don't think there was there were were there any takedowns I don't think there was a single takedown and if you think about it if you're Weidman do you want to go down there with mm-hmm. Jocker yeah. obviously you can take him down we all know you can do you want to fuck you're with an elite the gator wrestler the thing. do you want to wrestle with the gator on the ground yeah for those who don't know Jocker does mean gator his first name's Ronaldo Rino- right? his name's Ronaldo Souza mm-hmm. but he goes by Jocker which yeah. is his nickname um that's why he does the gator chomp uh and then if I were to tell you it was going to be a striking showcase would you have expected Jocker to come out the winner 
I don't know. I don't think I, don't, I would. It, have. It's hard to. It's I hard don't to, think I would have. It's hard to remove looked, my. I've never seen him look so polished. It's, on his it's hard to remove my hindsight yeah. bias yeah. from it. Um. I, I, yeah. I, pro- I don't think I would have guessed that it would. Have I think I would have assumed that Weidman knocked him out. Um. Jacare's older. He's historically is you know more of a, a one trick kind of. Guy. I mean, in his last few years, he's developed his striking obviously a lot. His boxing was so fucking. It was crisp. great. It was great. It was so crisp. His head movement mm-hmm. was fucking impeccable. Yeah. Uh, he was on it. Like, just every every precision that you need mm-hmm. in that stand-up game. And taking nothing away from Weidman, Weidman also looked amazing. He was I would say those, he was winning the fight. He was until- hitting those short elbows that were doing a lot of damage. And he he was doing, a, I think, a good job of establishing his, his size and length. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, he might have been winning. I don't even know. I don't even remember. It, it was very close. It was close. I mean, yeah. it, for me to say that Weidman was even winning, yeah, it's close. Very tight. It, it was a very. It was. It was a good fight. Um, and yeah, I did not expect. Uh, I think we would also. I think we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't talk about the end of the fight. Um, who was the ref? Mergliata. Mergliata. Um, Weidman was done from that the second that punch landed, and he went just completely out and he wouldn't and that Jacare looked at him like mm-hmm. end the fight and he wouldn't yeah. do it so Jacare is kind of obligated to keep fighting mm-hmm. to not give Wyman a chance literally looked up. at the ref yeah. was like what the fuck's going on ref didn't do anything ref kind of stepped up and but was like right it. behind Jacare so then Jacare hit him it. a couple more so times so Jacare threw in a couple of hammer fists yeah. and then damn Murdered that, out of final that can't happen it's tough man I think obviously the the I think I think either Joe Rogan or um, was it Paul Felder doing the the commentary mm-hmm. of this fight? I think one of them said it right afterward. Uh, Joe Rogan brought it up. Obviously, the job is incredibly difficult and nuanced, mm-hmm. but there is no room for error. Like, th- th- or th- if there is, it's slim. There's slim room for error. You, it's like being a pilot. Yeah, the job is hard, but you can't mess up. They're yeah. literal people's livelihoods are at risk by True. taking brain damage in, in situations like that True. and, and repeated trauma. And he was so clearly done the way that he fell was, it was obvious to me, at least in the moment. Uh, I wouldn't say it was obvious to me in the moment. I think that it's, it's really hard to evaluate from outside. Mm. And, and I think that it's something that we should be more hesitant about um, whenever we're evaluating officials with, within any kind of sport, because it's so easy to look at a slow-mo replay yeah. when you're not in the game, when your job isn't on the line, uh, your career, your livelihood isn't on the line, and you have to make that decision. Mm-hmm. There is just there's so much more pressure, and it's just so much more difficult. Yep. Uh, then uh, they they don't have a fucking seven camera system that they're it's the the ref is in the in octagon, the octagon with them, yeah. you know, and they might not see that Chris Weidman was as dazed as he was. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I give it some leeway as far as th- this was a fucking really, this was one of the really more drastic ones I've ever seen though. You think so? Yeah, certainly. Um, cause sometimes you can, yeah. you can, you know, and it depends on who it is. Cause Joe also did bring that up. Weidman has been through wars and he's been through, you know, he's gotten through that moment where you think he might be done before. So as a ref, do you want to give him the benefit of the doubt? But I think the second he hits the canvas like that and does that sort of um, purely almost animalistic grab 
you know, where his fight or flight kicked in and he just kind of grabbed and he clearly isn't in it. He had to jump in and not let those next punches happen. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think the last fight to talk about is Cormier and Lewis. Yep. Not a super, nothing really to write home about outside of that Daniel Cormier is amazing at what he does. Yep. And I, 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 re- I enjoyed watching the fight because it was just, it was, it's just like the personalities of them and it, it's just funny. Like, I think Daniel Cormier at heavyweight is just kind of funny. <laughs> he's so short and pudgy. And he's so chunky. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing that another reason why it's easy to hate on DC mm-hmm. is because he doesn't really look like an athlete. Yeah. He, he, like you said, like he, he acts like a dad. He has a personality of a dad. Yep. He looks like, he a looks dad like too. a dad. Yeah. He looks like a dad. Too. He literally, but that's a dad that kids can after. kill you. Oh yeah. He, he is a, you. he's a, a legitimate fucking monster. Yeah. He is yeah. He's an in, incredible fucking He's athlete. one of the, one of the best fighters of all time in the UFC. Yeah. Pound for pound. I think uh, he's we, technically number one pound for pound right now in terms of the official ranking. So he's the first champ champ, the first to uh, defend both belts, to defend both belts. Yeah. And yeah, no one's ever done that. Connor didn't do that. Nope. Um, yeah, they stripped Connor right away and I don't think he could ever get back to 135 anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, there was, it wasn't a really, a okay. Let's fight. talk about, cause the fight wasn't really anything to write home about. It was basically DC wrestled him and beat him. True. Choked him out. Uh, Derek Lewis didn't really have the the technique to to deal with a wrestler of Daniel's caliber. Right. Um, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you, you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. All right. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> we had to do it. We had to get to that point. <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Um, let's talk about. Are you cool with Daniel Cormier fighting Brock Lesnar next? I'm I'm more cool with that than I am CM Punk fighting. Okay. In the UFC, I would say that Well, cuz Brock Lesnar is a legitimate wrestler and fighter, true. unlike what we've seen CM true. Punk. True. Uh, yeah. So when CM Punk uh, decided to fight in MMA, for those that don't know who CM Punk is, which I didn't even know who CM Punk w- was until he actually uh, was announced that he was going really? to fight in the UFC. Oh, wow. I didn't know who he was. <clears throat> I mean, um, I don't even watch. Is, I don't watch wrestling. I knew who he, he was. was. Yeah, he was a, a, a professional wrestler. Yeah. So the fake kind of wrestling. <laughs> Um, the the performance artists yeah. that are which it is very tough. I I, I think that no, more, it's cool. It's more it's, respect, a, it's like a TV show, and I I don't disrespect anybody that actually likes wrestling. But if you are going to transition into a professional sport, you should have some kind of background as far as what that sport entails. Mm-hmm. And Brock Lesnar translated from being a WWE superstar before to, that uh, to being a UFC yeah. star, right? But before that, he was a national championship yeah. wrestler in D1. Yeah. He was a legitimate fucking wrestler, yeah. which is widely regarded as, as the greatest discipline to have when translating into MMA. mixed martial arts. Um, it can get you the furthest. So probably. anybody that that tries to rationalize uh, the UFC bringing in CM Punk because of because Brock of Brock Lesnar, miss me with that. Miss me with that. <laughs> but that being said. You're cool with DC fighting him and not Stipe? No, he should. So I would say that from an MMA standpoint, 
that should be the next fight. Stipe versus DC. Yeah. Stipe should get a shot at his belt back. Yes. Because I think we kind of talked about this a little bit. Where do you draw the line of, of, of rematches and rubber matches? And I think that when you are the most decorated heavyweight champion of all time, you're certainly cross that line. Yes. Certainly. Mm-hmm. I think that may, I, there are other fights that are that are definitely going to be questionable as to do you give this person a rematch. You know, if someone's been a champ for like, like if Tyron Woodley lost his next fight, I don't think I would want to, would necessarily think that he should have a rematch. Um, but it also depends on how close the fight is. True. If it comes down to a decision. If, if, he, if they just get clipped. If you get clipped. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But if anyone has earned the right at a rematch, there are Stupid. two that I can think of at the top of my head. And one of them got traded away from the UFC in Mighty Mouse, and the other one is Stipe. Mm-hmm. It's it's messed up that Daniel's going to fight two fights before he goes back to fighting Stipe. And are they going to make gonna Stipe fight, fight some? Two he more fought Derek Lewis. Oh, okay. All and right. then supposedly he's fighting Brock Lesnar. I, th- I thought you had two more fights that, from now. No. Okay. Well, the thing about that is DC might retire mm-hmm. after he fights Lesnar. I don't. I don't vibe with it. I'm all for super fights and the money fights, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm especially all for fighters getting paid while they can. I totally understand that, but at a certain point, I think you have to have respect for the sport yeah. and for the athletes that that are the best at what they do. I agree. And even though Brock has been champion before and is, is you know has been a great fighter, last time we saw him fight, we kind of saw that he's he's you know he's over the hill a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think sure. if he went in with Daniel Cormier, I think Daniel Cormier would destroy him. Mm-hmm. I would I would not be surprised to see that happen at all. Yeah. Just because Brock cuts an imposing figure doesn't mean he still is the fighter he used to be. It is daunting seeing the sizes. Oh, it's terrible. He's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it's similar to seeing. And also, DC is so short. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be funny though. Seeing DC and him with the with the face off and in the ring together, that's funny. Yeah, it, and it is. <clears throat> It is a spectacle, yeah. if if it is anything. Um, but yeah, how much should you be including this spectacle? How much does it undermine the the work the, that these guys put in and and the skill level they mm-hmm. have and what they do and the sport? Yeah, yeah. just the, the how uh, how appropriate is it this matchup? Yeah. Um, I to me, fucking the. CM Punk thing that's uh, it's unforgivable. He has zero. Yeah, you're you're like straight up like offended by that. The, the, if the, I think it's fucked up. I yeah. think it's I think it's offensive to your your fighters, and I think and I that think it undermines. Your I sport. think that the dudes that he fought proved the point that maybe they were a bit offended by because they went out there and toasted him. Yeah, or at least Mickey Gall did. The other dude, like, refused to finish him. It was a weird fight. I don't know if you saw the second fight he did. I don't even remember the guy's submitted? name. He got submitted. If he got submitted, it was in the last round as time ran out because the dude, the dude was dominating him on his feet and just wouldn't yeah pull the trigger to finish the fight. It was a really weird fight. Um, and then I think I think Dana said something about like not letting that guy fight anymore afterward. Yeah, um, it's stupid. Yeah, I, I think I yeah I think that the he whole should have got, had to go through some sort of amateur fights to get there exactly to prove himself exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is this, there's a line that I feel like the UFC is hitting their head against more and more of money over um, quality, almost. And and it feels like they're sometimes trying to push that a little too much. 
And like, and I'm okay with, so we, we've talked before about the labeling of super fights and what mm-hmm. super fights mean and what they should mean. Cause before a super fight meant like what Anderson, George St. Pierre was going to fight Anderson Silva. That was the biggest super fight. The two right? best that, fighters were fighting, but th- that is everything that I want to see in the MMA. Yeah. Right. Um, well, yeah, we want to see Henry Cejudo fight TJ Dillashaw. Yes. We want to see, uh, you know, Max Holloway move up and fight Khabib or something crazy like that. It would be fucking incredible. Yeah. I would love that. Uh, and But th- th- that is something that is uh, ingrained in the nature of the sport. Or Khabib fight Ben Askren, mm-hmm. what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. That one yeah, time. it's another yeah. Uh, incredible super fight that, I, as a, a, a sportsman and a fan of the sport, yeah. I, I want to But the, the, the meaning of super fight has changed into more of a, a money fight, a, mm-hmm. a cash grab. Yeah, uh, something that's more spectacle yeah. uh, than anything. Yeah. Now, what do you, you feel about this? is sort of different. Um, I'm pretty sure that Triple G came out and said that he would fight either Khabib or— It was, it was tongue-in-cheek Okay. when he did that. Okay. We can talk about this Floyd Mayweather thing, though, that happened. What happened with Floyd Mayweather? Over the weekend, there was uh, an announcement that Floyd Mayweather was fighting— I do not know the guy's name, and I can't say the name. He's, uh, I think he's Japanese— Okay. He's some Japanese phenom that's undefeated that fights in one. Okay. And they said that Floyd Mayweather was going to fight him under the one championship banner. Um, and that there was going to be a special rule set that was not yet agreed to. But people were like, oh my God, is Floyd going to fight in MMA in some kind? Or is it going to be strikes only? Or is it going to be, you know, no wrestling, but striking and kicking? You know, what's the rule set going to be? Well, Floyd came out today and was like, uh, that, that was never supposed to be announced. I had agreed to like a private showcase to do with him. Hmm. I was I was informed it was going to be a uh, uh, like more of a performance for a bunch of rich investors, and I I never agreed to a full on fight like this. So today that all got taken back. Um, but I think what you're trying to get at is kind of the idea of crossing sports. Yes. So like say if uh, like a Triple G mm-hmm. uh, or a Floyd Mayweather wanted to come into the MMA, how do you feel about that kind of thing? How, how much of a specu- spectacle? That's, if Triple G feel? wanted to fight in the UFC, do it. Okay, I have no problem with that. Right now, the 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 danger of it is because boxers have tried it. You will get taken down and you will get smushed. Now, obviously, from a technical sp- yeah. standpoint, like like I had no problem with Connor fighting Floyd. Mm-hmm. It's that, fine, that, and, and it's literally it's happened before with James Tony and uh, Randy yeah. Couture. James Tony got destroyed. Old James Tony uh, decided to Randy come Couture in destroyed and, him. Yeah, and Randy Couture came in, low singled him. <laughs> he said he had to dust his, uh, dust off his low single from college uh, to use on James Tony, um, and then. You know, did a little ground ground and pound, and then ended up submitting. Him. Yeah, it's uh, if if a guy wants to try that, I'm you are a mixed martial artist, are you? Do a form of our martial arts already, right? Come on over and try to do the whole bang at once. True. Why not? True, but uh, what if like say like a triple G came over and then instantly got a title fight? Mm-mm. No, thank you, sir. No, 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 no. no. I don't like that. Hmm. That's because then you get into the weird how boxing has multiple belts and stuff. Uh, like, like I think Triple G has like three belts. Right. It's that's and it's not because he's got different weight classes. It's because different promotions and mm-hmm. so, so then one. Uh, it seems too much like that. And I think one of the things that killed boxing was the the whole 
the money that they were the, the amount of money that was involved in the whole different well these promotions it kind of killed boxing and that's what kind of brought in I don't really understand your point as far as like the different promotions and how that so you know how like UFC fighters fight in the UFC yes I know I understand that within boxing that you have like a lot of like this alphabetic soup of yeah I'm of the WCB champion and I'm the BM do champion the B- <laughs> BM do I don't know I almost said BMW I was like that's a car <laughs> <laughs> You might as well, though. You might as well be the BMW champion in boxing. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so you don't understand. What your point is as far as them coming over from boxing to MMA. It feels like that to me. Okay. It feels like just Specifically adding, if they have a title like fight? Because there's another belt on the line. So it's, it feels like bringing more of that. Because um, then they're going to come let's in. Say if you have okay, let's say Triple G came in and fought Khabib. Or, I don't know what right. weight class he is or whatever. And he won. Does Dana then put five belts on him because he has all of his WCB no, belts? No, he's put a UFC belt on him. I don't know. Because th- those are might, boxing belts. He might he might bring in yeah. his own it's, uh, it's, boxing it's, belts, yeah. but he doesn't have multiple UFC belts. That isn't my main reason to not do it. My main reason to not do it is that you have never fought in the UFC. You have never fought in mixed martial arts. So you shouldn't get it. Go earn a title fight in this sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're an amazing boxer. True. Earn the title fight in this sport. You've never done this before. Where I would say, like, even, um, yeah, give them a warm-up fight. I wouldn't have a problem with Triple G fighting, like, a top 15 guy. Right. Or a top, even a top 10 guy, if, if that's what the, the approach that someone like that would want to take. True. Don't give them a title fight. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. I agree. And I, I don't think that, because uh, obviously that would bring in a lot of spectacle. Mm-hmm. Floyd coming oh, in yeah. would be a lot of uh, spectacle. Dude, but you know how much I would love to watch founding, Floyd fight Connor in MMA. But UFC was literally founded on, a, you know, let's see this fighter for versus this fighter, and um, the the sport was founded from those uh, the, the clashing of disciplines. You yeah. Know? All right, we're gonna put an American boxer versus a yeah. Muay Thai guy. We're but it's evolved so much. Hmm? It's evolved past that. True. It's become its own discipline. Yeah. Um, mixed martial arts has. And um, we're, and we're, I think, I think that we are in the age of seeing the first ever fully grown mixed martial artists entering the UFC. We're seeing guys that their whole life have trained in MMA mm-hmm. and are now fully formed mixed martial artists when they come into the UFC. Well, like literally you're, you've been born, uh, you've been born and MMA already exists in the world. Yeah, and, and you were raised training. In everything, and, and you you aren't a special specialist. You are trained in everything, and mm-hmm. I think the more of those people we get, the more exciting it's mm-hmm. going to get. And not only is it like so, uh, does uh, the sport itself exist, but your access to the sport? Yeah, um, because like MMA and uh, the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu artists uh, trying to show off their their discipline mm-hmm. and how it's su- uh, superior has existed for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, but it just didn't get to America until yeah. 25 years ago or whatever it mm-hmm. was. Um, but yeah, like the accessibility of sports is something that like, I feel like it's going across all sports now. I feel like that's one of the reasons why you're getting so many good rookies and people yeah. that like, uh, like when you play basketball, you know, kids that hit middle school already know how to run a pick and roll yeah. and they know basic basketball schemes. Cause yeah. look at YouTube look at, exists. Yeah. Look at how many uh, of these quarterbacks are being successful early on in their, in this year. Like you, I mean, you see guys like Patrick Mahomes who spent one year on the bench and is now the MVP of the league. Mm-hmm. It's these younger guys are coming in more prepared than ever. I think. Right. And, and that does go back to just your whole life existing in the sport. Let's preview the next UFC. To, uh, the number card. We're not going to talk about every 
everything coming up. But UFC two thirty one. There's two turf thirty turf UFC turf UFC two thirty one. There's uh the co main and the main event are both mm. very good because we were talking about um how DC fighting Brock would be pure spectacle. These would be pure quality. Valentina Shevchenko versus Joanna Yevchevchik for the women's flyweight belt because whoever had it that Nico whatever her name was that no one had ever heard of mm-hmm. stripped they were like you can't have this anymore you won't you know 125 here's our new cha- whoever wins this is our champ right those ladies can bang mm-hmm. and they I think stylistically perfect fight like they're just they're gonna go after each other yeah it's gonna be fun yeah I do I, I love Joanna man yeah Joanna's dope <laughs> Joanna's <laughs> super Yo- cool Joanna man <laughs> Um, Champ, uh, yeah, Joanna Champion, as as people called her, she was like, you don't. Mm-hmm. People were like, we can't say your last name. She's like, just call me Joanna Champion. <laughs> <laughs> you have Chevchik. Mm-hmm. You have Chevchik. I got this. I'm Polish in my blood, so yeah, I got it in me. Mm-hmm. Um, any anything to think about with that fight or just excitement? So uh, yeah, I'm just excited for it. It's a good fight. It's gonna be cool. The one I'm super hyped for. One of my favorite fighters in the world. Max Holloway. I mm. love my, love me some Max Holloway. Yeah. Is fighting someone that we've seen in person. It makes me like him. So, like, this would be my level of liking him. And then, like, we've seen him fight in person. So, it's like, oh, that's cool. And then he's such a dope dude. Mm-hmm. He's such a good person. I'm like, this dude, Brian T-City Ortega. Yeah. Not only is he going to defeat it. Yeah. Not only is he, like, just this super giving man. Yeah. Not only have we seen him fight in person in Orlando. But he's also super he's hot. He's so hot. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> no, yeah, he's he's a fucking really he's talented. He's so good. Fighter. That fight, I was really sad when it got called off before because Max Holloway got hurt. Mm-hmm. That fight's gonna be dope. Yeah. And I know that Brian, he might be I, the like the best guy off of his back right now as far as like finishing people like in that. the in the UFC. Brian in the Ortega. UFC, there's a reason they call him T City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a dumb nickname, but it suits him. <laughs> yeah, he gets a lot of trying. Yeah, um, it's all right. I know he's undefeated and I know he's very well rounded and I understand how much he's improved as a striker capping off in his knockout in his last fight that he got. But Max Holloway is such a gangster. True. Max Holloway drowns you. Mm -hmm. His last two, the fights against Jose. Have you seen those fights? Yeah. Dude. For like one round, you're like, look, this is a good fight. Jose's looking like old Jose. And then Max Holloway's like, bitch. And he has a go to sleep. His fucking like, his mentality is ruthless and relentless. Oh God. I love the way he fights, man. I love him. He might be my favorite fighter. Like I say that, like I'll say that a lot. You're my favorite. Mm -hmm. Max Holloway might be really my favorite fighter Mm -hmm. because I think part of it is since I became a fan of the UFC at UFC 200 and I saw the, um, Oh my God. What's his name? Knocked out Michael Bisbang. Dan Henderson? Dan, the Dan Henderson, just nuclear right hand, and then dive on the... Like, that was my introduction to the UFC. Right. The UFC, what was that, 100? Yeah. And since then, Max Holloway joined the UFC. So I feel like he's one of the first people I've seen grow through the UFC and followed the whole time mm-hmm. and been invested in and liked from the beginning. So I feel this weird connection to rooting for him. True. Which... uh. I have, I have it similar with Francis Ngannou because the first time I ever saw Francis Ngannou fight, I was like, that dude's going to be the heavyweight champion of the world. Like, no doubt. Uh-huh. And he had a shot and didn't 
didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And then his next fight, again, he looked very... He almost looked scared in his next fight. But I'm hoping... He's fighting Curtis Blades soon. We'll hope hope Francis Ngannou is back and been working that's to well-round... Curtis Blades is also not... They've already fought before. Well, that's and... why I, I'm hoping he can get back on track fighting Curtis Blades. But Curtis Blades also didn't... I don't think that Curtis knew how dangerous he was mm-hmm. and like that there was like there's a there's a game plan now out there yeah on francis for beating Ngannou. it's out there yeah he has a kryptonite and there's no wrestling. reason that he can't and curtis blades can wrestle there's no reason that francis can't improve though he has every physical gift that he needs to be able to defend takedowns there is no reason that uh carmelo shouldn't come <laughs> off the bench you know he does, but- he does come off the bench he finally got took there. him a while. He took finally while. got there, and it, it, it's going to be a matter of time before uh, Francis can really develop those grappling yeah. skills. Um, but yeah, and, Max Holloway is like the pinnacle of that. And, though, of guys I've been watching from the beginning of their career. And I don't. It, it, to me, it's kind of an anomaly as far as I, I wouldn't say an, an anomaly. That's not the right word. It's an enigma. Why? Uh, how he's approaching the sport? Because after he fought Stipe, and Gano, you're talking about, yeah, huh? In, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. talking about Francis Ngannou. After Francis Ngannou fought Stipe, his corner came out and said that they didn't really work on grappling yeah. and wrestling. Yeah. How crazy is that? What the fuck? That's nuts. It, 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 it just seems so stupid to what, me. What, did you think that because you're heavyweights, you're just going to punch each other a bunch? No, dude, there's skilled people in the well, heavyweight well, division. Or were they doing something where, like, they were like, oh, well, our only chance is to knock him out, so we're only going to work on that? I don't I don't know. I, yeah, I don't, I don't So, Francis Ngannou is at the fucking UFC headquarters uh, Breaking gym, records on like, the punching machine. Like, fucking working out there like Ivan Drago and Rocky IV. <laughs> um, so I'm, I I hope that he develops a ground game, yeah, man. I, I I hope that he surrounds himself with really good. He's fun to watch when he's on. So I, mean, I I look forward to his fights. He's crazy fun but, to watch. But Holloway is the subject of this mm-hmm. and fighting Ortega. Do you have any? Just so uh, so Max Holloway, I, I I would agree with you is the more overall balanced fighter, mm-hmm. um, and he seems like the obvious favorite. But I think the craziest thing about Brian Ortega is that he's. He consistently surprises you. He he's won how? He's won so many fights in the third round after losing. Yeah, like three or four in a row. Consistently surprises you, like even within the fight itself, and does things that you're like, well, yeah, this is why he. Yeah, is who, who would have thought? I forget who he fought in his last fight, but he came out and put on a striking showcase. He fucking knocked out Frankie Edgar. Yeah, Frankie Edgar. He, it was Frankie freaking Edgar. He finished Frankie. No one has finished no, Frankie Edgar except Brian Ortega. And Brian Ortega did it. <laughs> It's crazy. All all of the fucking sensational people that Frankie had yeah. just fought and Brian Ortega. Those wars with Gray Maynard. When when fucking Frankie Edgar is knocking on death's door yeah. in the first round, and he comes back Gray and wins Maynard. fights, and he comes and back then of and then of all people, wins. Brian Ortega knocks him out. Yeah, and Brian Frankie's Ortega fought finishes. Holloway, hasn't he? Or were they supposed to fight and they didn't? Yeah, I think they were supposed to fight and they I didn't. didn't know. <sighs> I'm but, really excited for that fight. That fight's gonna be. Mm-hmm. The, both of those fights are going to be showcases of talent and skill, yeah. not showcases of spectacle. Right. They will just also happen to be spectacle. Other than the spectacle that is Brian Ortega's eyes. Yes. They're beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you got, 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 got shout-outs, dog? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to go first or you want me to go? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> my shout-out is... Um, so everyone knows who Chance the Rapper is, but... Does everyone know? 
at this point, the dude is like... My mom probably doesn't know who okay, Chance the Rapper is. You know what I mean. The people who listen to this show know who Chance the Rapper is. For th- those that don't know, Chance the Rapper is, is a, a rapper. rapper. <laughs> Continue. Continue. <laughs> um, everyone knows who Chance the Rapper is. I feel like there's a project, though, that he's involved in that not a lot of people have heard of, and it's called Surf. Surf is an album... Um, technically not made by Chance the Rapper. It's technically by Donnie Trumpet and The Social Experiment. Mm-hmm. The Social Experiment is Chance's band, essentially, that he uses in all his in all his works. That he's a vocalist for. He is the vocalist for The Social Experiment, yes. Um, yeah, my shout-out is the album Surf. Uh, some features include J. Cole, um, Saba, uh, I'm rolling through here looking at these... The thing that's confusing about it is they don't say featuring, so you have to like look in the, mm-hmm. in like the writers and stuff like that. Um, uh, who is? You know, it would have been really one? helpful if you did this beforehand. You well, know? I have the page open, but there's mm. there's dope people on it. <laughs> J Cole's the biggest one for sure. Yeah. Um, the one song people might know is Sunday Candy. Mm-hmm. You're my Sunday Candy. <laughs> yeah, that song. Great music video. Great by music the way. video with dope look dancing and choreography. Um, my favorite songs include that I would check out, um, uh, want to be cool is mm-hmm. good. Slip slide, slip slide. Um, miracle is dope. Yeah. There's, I mean, uh, warm enough is the one with J Cole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a bunch of great songs on this project. Really cool music. Um, I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't say jazz, but it, there's like a full band. It's it's hip hop with a full band with, you know, Donnie Trumpet obviously plays trumpet and there's a whole horn section and rhythm section. And it's just a very unique style of music. Great album with chance on pretty much every song. There's a couple songs that are just uh, trumpet. Um, but what's that, than, what's the, the one of the last songs on the album that's like, don't vibe for me. I have a vibe for her. Gee, something came to me is a tr- uh, rememory maybe no no past the vibes, vibes. past the, past vibes. the vibes past. is the last song yeah. <laughs> yeah i really like that song yeah yeah there's really great songs on there uh really great collection of of artists collaborating and check it out yeah surf by donnie trumpet in the social experiment mm. you. all right my shout out uh we've already mentioned him i think in this episode, as well as the spoiler episode that we have already recorded, wow. and is going to be released on Thursday. Double down. It is the 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 holy creator that is Alex Garland. <laughs> the he uh, Alex Garland is a uh, writer director of movies. Auteur. Auteur. <laughs> um, he has written and directed both Ex Machina as well as uh, this year's Annihilation. Um, what kind of what kind of movies does he make, Chris? What, what kind of a what kind of genre would you say they are? I would say that they are uh, speculative fiction. Yeah, speculative with, fiction that are focused on uh, human themes. Yeah, human uh, on the human ordeals. Uh, Ex Machina is amazing. So he has also written but not directed uh, Sunshine as well as Twenty Eight Days Later, which is the zombie movie I've talked about before. My favorite zombie movie. Mm-hmm. If you don't think it's a zombie, Alex Garland says they are zombies. <laughs> so, so there's zombies. That is that. Um, yeah, Ex Machina, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, 
yeah, the the guy is fascinating to listen to. If uh, you can track down interviews, watch his movies. Uh, you're definitely going to see like uh, these themes of sci-fi and horror and stuff. But also, it's they're they're very grounded, character based. Um, yeah, I just really like his work, and I yeah, wanted to dope. shout him out. So, Alex Garland, Surf by Dying Trumpet, Trumpet and the Social Experiment. Those are our shout-outs. Hit us up on the social medias. Hit Chris up at Chris Michael Stott on Instagram and on his website. Find me at Davinwell25 on Twitter and Instagram. Find the show, Pod on Twitter, The Chris and Kyle Show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Hit us up on the podcasting platforms, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those other weird ones that we don't know about. Um, look for our spoiler episode you just said this week is going to be Lady Bird mm-hmm. and vote on our poll for the last spoiler episode of the month mm-hmm. up between Ralph Breaks the Internet and Creed 2 right. what if we crossed them over and made one movie Ralph Don't. Breaks Creed Oh, that would actually be kind of cool. <laughs> Instead of fighting Ivan Drago's son, he fights Wreck-It If Ralph. it was like a, like a Roger Rabbit yeah. uh, si- situation and uh, like Creed fucking has to fight Ralph yeah. and like it's mixing mm-hmm. live action with animation, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to do that for NaNoWriMo. That's, yeah, that's my, you're going to change I'm, your NaNoWriMo? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm oh, going to write NaNoWriMo, if you're, if you're uh, NaNoWriMoing with us, keep keep <laughs> going, stay strong, get those words out. Mm-hmm. And like like Chris kind of talked about earlier, don't be discouraged if you're not keeping up with the number. It's more about the effort than it is anything else. It's more about just sitting down and trying to get words out on the page. Mm-hmm. Uh, find our polls on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, as well as the on YouTube the itself. Yeah. Uh, there will be cards that you'll find yeah. on the video. And we're going to look upper upper right-hand corner. Collect all answers and one final tally. It's very it's a tight heat right now. So if you have a if you have a, a hankering to have your voice heard, vote. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that was a weird way to phrase that. Yeah, that, that. was weird. <laughs> well, let's get out of here, dude. All right. We're, we out. We out. Stay weird. <laughs>